Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, it's the all-media overload, end-of-year pop culture throwdown. (laughs) (laughs) I panicked. What do we call it? The 2022 all-media overload. Perfect. Sounds good. Welcome, everybody. You're here. (laughs) Or do you want me to do a clean take? No, we don't need a clean take. I mean, we've been doing this long enough. We don't need a clean take. We don't need a clean take. No. We're fine. No. Oh man! So I need to turn my game down a little. What bit. JB? What is this podcast, and who are we? This podcast is a podcast that is allegedly about Bruce Springsteen's songs, particularly how they line up uh, against each other in alphabetical order from first to last, the uh, least logical way to organize a body of released music. And what we're doing today, though, is we're specifically going to not mention Bruce Springsteen's music. We may reference it actually. I'm probably going to reference it two times. Hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about all of the media that was released this year, that we consumed this year. Maybe, maybe that, not all of it, but a good portion of it. Well, yes. The media that we feel is uh, either great or noteworthy. Um, or, honestly, uh, I've learned lately, it can also just be delightful. Yeah. <laughs> or thought-provoking. It's okay every now and then if something uh, that was horribly produced and honestly not that enjoyable uh, makes you have a thought a couple of weeks, uh, a couple times a week that makes you more compassionate or whatever it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I can't wait to hear what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just have realized recently like that everything doesn't have to be so highbrow. <laughs> well, I mean, we're definitely we're we're, uh, we're running the whole gamut between highbrow and lowbrow. We today. sure are, for sure. Um, all right. Well, generally, what we do on this on, on the all, by the way, I'm Rob. That's JB. What's up? Um, and what we normally do on this uh, every year, we have a tradition that sometimes we're like six months late to it, but we do we we do have this tradition where every year at the end of the year we do a, a kind of a roundup of our favorite pieces of media. We talk about movies, we talk about TV, we talk about music, we talk about books. JB's even going to talk about a couple comedy specials towards the end. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do it all in a timely fashion. So um, Imagine we're playing chess in a public park and we have a timer. Yes, that's, that's kind of the gist. So we're going to try and spend no more than five minutes on any, any particular item. We will try our best not to spoil things. So if you hear us say the name of, of a movie or a TV show that you have not yet watched, you're probably fine. We won't spoil anything. Um, if, if we do inadvertently spoil things, I'll put it in the, in the show notes and you'll know where to skip to. Yeah. S- sound good? Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm pumped. All right, let's just jump right into it, JB. Let's talk about movies. Your you you listed your first movie on your list is a foreign film that was released on Netflix called <laughs> yeah. All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, we are going to really kick this off with a, on an upbeat note. Not a Marvel movie, not a DC no, movie, no, not, not an Avatar movie, no. not a Star Wars, but All Quiet not on the Star Western War. Front. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. So I find it helpful, um, to consider the, uh, I find it helpful to get in the car and adjust the mirror sometimes and realize that people who have also been in the car adjust the mirror and see things differently. And All Quiet on the Western Front is a sort of a first person, sort of an 1817, but like a World War I German conscript uh, who thought he was doing the right thing because his parents and his teachers and his friends and everybody told him he was doing the right thing. Uh, realized pretty, pretty quick he wouldn't do the right thing. 
so anyway, uh, apropos of nothing else in the world that I've been thinking about every day this year, uh, <laughs> namely the world in Ukraine, this movie made me re- uh, made me think about a lot of um, stereotypes I've developed in my own mind this year. Yeah. Uh, and also just the way I think about other people who have different ideas than me that does, you know, giving them, I guess, having empathy towards them doesn't make them right. It just makes me understand that maybe they got lied to a lot. Um, so th- this movie, and I've not seen this movie, but it's from the perspective of a German soldier. Yeah. In, in, in world war one. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's heavy. Uh, and it's, it's in German, correct? Yeah, it reminds me of the ninth, whatever that nineteen seventeen that like one shot yeah. war, war uh, movie was, kind of like that. It's in German, yeah. It's not a one shot, but it's just really like starkly, beautifully shot movie about a young boy's life. He just happens to be living in wartime. Uh, yeah, I mean, like five stars. Um, we're gonna talk about some fun stuff today, guys. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just jumped into the deep end. Is what we did. I will say I spent like I watched it over the course of a few days. Oh really? Not this is not a one sitting kind of Take thing. your time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And now this is a remake, isn't it? Or it is ba- based on a novel? I think it's been made a few times and it may be a novel, yeah. Okay. Cuz I was yeah. going to say the title sounded very familiar to me. Yeah. I, yeah, but, yeah. But I've not seen it. It's a classic, you know, World War 1 movie that's been made. It's uh yeah, it's it's really powerful. Cool. And it's on Netflix. Uh, it is on Netflix. Yes. Nice. Nice. It is. Any any performance we we would recognize? I did not. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, it seems like it's all you know, just like German actors. Cool. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about. I was reading a Star Wars book the other day, and they talk about some like, oh, he was so tired of the whoeverians from whatever planet. Yeah. You know, because of something specific. I was like, if you replace that with any other race. <laughs> It sounds bad. It yeah. sounds really bad. <laughs> but if you read it for the Star Wars languages, you re- you realize that maybe you just kind of have those thoughts sometimes and you need to address them yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's what good science fiction does, right? It's Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is was would you say that this is your favorite movie of 2022? I don't know. I don't know that I listed these in any particular order. Okay. Is that, I did, yeah, I didn't know if they were in like descending order or if, if you like came out swinging with your favorite. Or, this or what, what, what I wouldn't call it my favorite. It's probably the best movie I watched this year. Okay. It's the one I, I watched it very recently, and it's the one I've thought about the most. <laughs> I mean, that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Cool. Well, my favorite movie of this year was a movie this was gonna be a Glass Onion, A Knives yeah. Out Mystery. So did you see the original Knives Out? Yes. I haven't seen this one yet. I tried to get April to watch the original the other day, but... Like fell asleep and then went out of town and our our rental expired. I I think the original Knives Out is straight up like just straight up a masterpiece. It's I think I think it's an incredible yeah. movie. I've, I've watched it several times. It never gets old. I enjoy it for a different reason and for, with a different character in mind every single time. And this is movie, it number two behind Almost Famous for you. Has it made it that far yet? Will it hasn't it made yet? it that far yet. No, I mean, will it? Maybe. It's, will it's, it? It's probably it's probably in the, in the top twenty five somewhere. It's going to make it, though? It's going to make it to the top 15 before you die? I don't know. How am I, how am I supposed to know that? I think, it's, I think you watch it. Every time you watch it, you go, oh, that might be better than... 
insert well, other movie. The thing is, it's not even my – this is how good a movie – it came out in 2019, and this is how good a movie that year that was. It wasn't even my favorite movie that year. My favorite movie that year was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. And But this, <laughs> Knives Out came in a very close second. Um, April was watching that movie, and I told her, I was like, here's the deal. you got to sit with me for about an hour and a half, and you're going to have a ton of questions. And just don't ask me, please. Just – Watch it. Yes. And the last 10 minutes of this movie is going to be your favorite thing you've experienced all year. <laughs> because I'll never forget, she loved uh, some early, some of the other Quentin Tarantino movies, but she always felt like she couldn't watch Inglorious Bastards because we were youth group kids. I sure. Mean, you know that famously. You were her youth bastard. I was. Famously. Oh, the person who was the elf on the Grapevine Christmas train for our kids the other day was also in y'all's youth group. I met her. I forgot her name. Really? Um, yes. I could pick her out of a lineup, though. Uh we had a, we talked about the, uh, she, April's like, she does a podcast with Rob or he does. And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she came over and she's like, tell me about it. And I was like, it's a very specific thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, she didn't watch Inglorious Bastards because it has the word bastard in it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I watched it with her one night and she watched it again immediately afterwards. And I went to bed. And, uh, so like she l- just laughed the whole time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, she, and just like, so the last 10 minutes of, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, she laughed so hard. She like paused it twice and looked at me and went, am I a bad person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty crazy final scene in that movie. But this anyway, movie, sorry, I interrupted you while you're talking about glass onion. That's a yeah. I mean, well, the, the premise of this, of the the whole thing began with me asking you, "Have you seen Knives Out?" Because Glass Onion is a sequel to Knives Out, and when yes. I say it's a sequel, it's not a continuation of the story. It's just it's basically another like murder mystery featuring the Daniel Craig character Benoit Blanc, and this a la the White Lotus. Uh, I, I've not seen the White Lotus. Uh, it's special. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's all right. So this, it's a whole new, it's a whole new cast and a whole new setting. I won't say that much about it because as we record this, it, it was this movie was released in theaters for one week, in, which yeah. is when Caroline and I went to see it, and it's going to be released on Netflix. I think the day before Christmas. Yep. So, um, so most people, as as this comes out, most people will not have had a chance to see this. So I won't say anything. I, I obviously will not spoil anything because the fun of these movies is sort of like watching the mystery unfold and um, kind of figuring it out. And it, um, but I, I will just say this: this is a an excellent follow up to an, an an amazing first film. And I, I'm a big fan. Ryan Johnson has never made a movie I didn't like. Every single movie right. of his is a movie that I love. Um, and this, this falls directly in line with that. So I, I enjoyed it. And one, once it hits Netflix, I want to encourage everybody, please watch glass onion. You will not regret it. It's very, very good. I was bummed. I couldn't make it like that week <laughs> and I'm very excited to watch it when it comes out. Oh, it's, it's so, so good on the 24th. Yeah. And this, and I, I walked out of the theater and instantly was like, this was my favorite. That, that's my favorite movie of the year. There's hands yeah. down. No question. There's the se- second place. And it, we'll talk about second place in a minute, but second place is a far second. Like th- this was far and away the best movie I saw this year, in my opinion. So that's glass onion. Now you have another movie on here that I've never even heard of. It's called when the, until the wheels fall off. Yeah. It's a documentary about Tony Hawk. If you were born when I was, Tony Hawk was your entire adolescence. <laughs> and, uh, it's such a good documentary. Uh, Rodney Mullen is this like breakout character. Rodney Mullen. We all know. When I say we, I mean, everyone born when I was all know Rodney Mullen from Tony Hawk pro skater. He was a character you could be, 
he wasn't like a big air guy. He wasn't like this big. I mean, he won a ton of X Games medals, but he wasn't like Tony Hawk. He wasn't like doing the 900. He does like these very small, very like beautiful, very specific tricks, you know? And he is now this like guru, man. And he's great. And when that thing came out, you know, he's just like in his lush backyard and like San Bernardino or whatever. He's got like a swimming pool bowl in his backyard and he basically just like skates it every morning like he would do yoga. And then he probably does yoga for like hours and then like reads philosophy, you know, and he's just like this totally like just really thoughtful guy. But it's about until the wheels fall off is about Tony Hawk and about how he's going to skate until the wheels fall off. And it's really beautiful. It kind of takes a turn at one point because like he is old and he does keep getting injured and it is called until the wheels fall off. And it's a lot of interviews with people who love him. So it kind of faces some questions down. Um, and I don't know, I guess as someone who's like a really big fan of like skateboarding and snowboarding and pro wrestling, uh, it made me think a lot about what I expect from the people who entertain me and, uh, it was beautiful and Roddy Mullen should like have a cult. It would be a good one. (laughs) (laughs) It would be one of the good ones. Well, if you're going to start a cult, it might as well be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, how can you watch this movie? I think it was on HBO. Okay, cool. So, if you have HBO Max, you should be able to stream this. I think I watched it like while I was having COVID. No, that was a no, no, that was the snowboard Burton guy, the the Burton snowboard guy. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's great. All right, next movie. Uh, Is this a you or a me or a both? Uh, This is a both. So a both. Yeah, this is the only movie that ended up on both of our lists, which was the Batman. Yeah. So this movie ruled. This movie ruled. <laughs> it's a three-hour-long detective mo- movie featuring Starring Batman. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. What? Yeah, he's the bad guy. Tate Reeves is the bad guy? I thought uh, the Riddler was the bad guy. Google Tate Reeves real quick. I'm not... No. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just tell look me. Look at what? that man's face and tell me he's not the bad guy from the Batman. <laughs> Does he look like that Paul That scene Dana? in prison where he's like, No! That's Tate Reeves. You can't tell me that's not Tate Reeves. All right, I'm Googling it. The governor of Mississippi. Um, yeah, I guess he kind of does look like him. <laughs> it looks like an aged version of him. But yeah. I mean, that moment where he's like, ah, was like, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. This so is we're not, worth. We're yeah. not spoiling the Batman, are we, by, by saying that he was in a, uh, in a With holding the Tate, cell. With Tate l- looking like Tate Reeves. <laughs> Um, I don't think that we. I don't think that's. Okay, that's we not can put a spoiler alert on there. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, the Batman's been out for a while. I think if anybody was going to see the Batman by now, they would have. So yeah. Um, but the not. Un- I mean, yeah. There's, it's there's- also a detective movie with Batman in it. We knew that there was going to be some holding cells. We're going to make some appearances. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so it, this, this yeah. movie was so good. I um I, I and I mean I'm a sucker for almost every Batman movie. In fact, my kids sure. were asking me like name all the bad Batman movies and I, I realized like oh there's only like a couple. You know, I mean and the, the But couple, those are my favorites. Batman and Robin is your favorite? That's uh, great, dude. No, it's a piece of garbage. Even the guy no, who dude, made it. George says, Clooney's uh George Clooney's like nipple in his armor. Come on. It's bad. It's, That's iconic. It, it's it's one of the worst pieces of filmmaking I've ever seen. But don't you want to kind of tree surf down a dinosaur tail like Tarzan from the Disney's Tarzan animated film? No. The only thing that movie makes me want to do is watch a different movie. Yeah. Not Catwoman. That is a bad Batman movie. 
I mean, I haven't even seen Cat. I, oh. I don't even count Catwoman, but it's uh, so dude, it's so bad. I watched it a couple years ago for but, the first time. It is so bad. But this movie, the Batman. How did you feel about Robert Pattinson as Batman? Great. I did too. I I, I was yeah. I, I was not sure how I would feel about him um, because I mean he kind he's kind of stepping into some big shoes. There there've been some pretty good Batman actors over the years and i thought and the thing about this movie also is there's a lot of batman like it's not a lot of it's not very bruce wayne heavy at all and he's mostly batman in this movie yeah. which i love you know i i don't i don't usually love all the the bruce wayne shenanigans That's the and, thing and, is man the comic books is like you don't get a lot of bruce wayne or at least not you know back in the day yeah that's right it's it's mostly batman and this was this was just a good old-fashioned murder mystery detective story Featuring Batman, and, t- yeah. and to me, those are the, the the best kinds of Batman movies are the kinds that take like a, a certain kind of crime genre and kind of infuse Batman into them. Dude, like Detective the, Comics, yeah, it's, exactly. Detective yeah. Comics, or like I was thinking, like the Dark. That's why Knight Detective Comics has always a, been better than Batman. Yeah, and, and so th- this movie, this movie does a lot of a lot of that, and I thought I felt like all the the villain performances were great. The um, Colin Farrell as like completely unrecognizable as the Penguin. Um, oh yeah, I found that out months later. <laughs> so good. Um, in fact, Colin months Farrell. Later. Colin Farrell makes several appearances on my on my list this year, and like he, he's show, like showing up as like one of my favorite actors. I think. Um, oh, dude, his season of uh, what was, True Detective. What, yeah, his season of True Detective is wildly underrated. Yeah, I thought so too. I Those really that good. I mean, I'm not saying it was good TV, but I think about that. I enjoyed it all the time. Yeah. So, so yeah, the Batman, and um, I, I've not gone back and watched it. It's even though it's on HBO Max, I've, I've been meaning to. I really yeah, want I, to. Me too. I haven't either. We but, should like uh, it's it's we a three like, hour. get on the phone and watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. We can do a Skype call. Um, I mean, and the and the thing, the the prohibitive factor there is that it is three hours long. It's a long. I, movie. I don't often have three hours to myself, you know, on any given yeah. day. But um, man, this this was a good movie. I, I I this is one of the best times I had at a movie theater all year. So it, I really enjoyed the Batman. I believe this is one of the uh, few movies I saw in theaters this year. Was it? Yeah, I believe I had a, ate a specific kind of candy and sat down and ate a bucket of popcorn and watched this movie and just had a time of my life. Those are my favorite kinds of memories. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, the next movie on our list is The Menu. Have you seen Haven't the even menu? heard of this. No. You've never heard this? of this, really. Oh, wait. Did this come out kind of recently? It's out now. Yeah. yeah it's in theaters yeah. currently. I saw like a couple previews for it. It seemed intense. It is intense. I, I, again, it's, because it's in theaters currently, I, I'll, I'll try my best not to spoil anything that's not already in the trailer. But basically, it's, it's a movie about um, like a high-end luxury restaurant. And like this couple goes to like, and you have to take a you have to take a boat like a ferry to the restaurant, and they get there, and things are not as they initially seem. And the, the oh. trailer kind of gives things away. And Ray Fiennes is the head chef, and um, it's Anya Taylor Joy is the is the girl in the couple, and, um, and kind of the protagonist of the film. And it is um, it's very intense, and it's very it's crazy. And um, I I just I saw I, I was really excited to see it. It's it's directed by a guy named Mark Millad. Mylod, who is one of the creative minds behind Succession, and okay. um, and so this this movie there's there's a lot of Succession DNA in this movie in, yeah. in that it, it kind of skewers the wealthy a little bit, uh, both figurative, figuratively and literally in a, <laughs> a certain kind of way, and um, and so it has a lot to say about like class and wealth and status and um, kind of how we've commodified art, and so it, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, but really, it's it, it, we, if you strip all that away, it's just a fun, exciting thriller, and it's it's very very good. So that's the menu. 
Nice. April yeah. and I were trying to. We were watching Succession. It took us a few tries to get through like the most recent season, just because it, we were trying to figure out what they were saying, and we didn't realize that was the joke. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a lot of very creative cursing, and uh, it's we were just trying to be like, are they? What are they talking about? When we realized they were just they were just being like, we got to get the KPIs and bury the leads, and we got to make sure that that never sees the light of day, and circle back, and we got to touch base and. And then the bases will touch, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh, man. Anyway, sorry. No, next. you're good. So, uh, so that's the menu. I highly recommend the menu. So the, the next thing on our list is one of yours. This is God Forbid. This is another and, documentary. Do you know about God Forbid? It's the Jerry Falwell thing, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, so they did a couple things, and basically they got all the right people cast to talk to camera. Um they got the guy who like wrote the the BuzzFeed story, the big one. They got the uh, sorry. This is a story about uh, Followell. What's his first name? Jerry Jerry Followell Junior. And his wife getting a third, going and finding them a third, a hotel pool boy who's a person too. He's not just a pool boy, and that's the thing he talks about. He's like, do you know how much it sucks to just be the pool boy? <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of how he's been designated and all. Yeah, stories. he's like, I'm a human, you know. Yeah, and then some of the other people on there, are like, you know, there's this moment where he's like trying to go. Basically, they get caught, they got caught. This is all public record stuff. They got caught having an affair with a pool boy. Uh, like him having sex with Jerry Falwell's wife and Jerry Falwell watching in, in the corner and you know doing his thing. And the well. thing, the thing that makes this a scandal for those who don't know is that Jerry Falwell has sort of been kind of a bully in terms of yes. like how he religiously persecutes people who don't have like the traditional sex lives. But also he is in none of like none of the things that he really like rails on publicly are like remotely Christian things. Yeah. They're not even like veiled. He's just like into like open carry as like a biblical writer or whatever, which is just like, that's not even one you can even prop up. He's kind of just become a right wing stooge. Yeah. And he was just kind of famously like drunk on air all the time for a while. Cause he endorsed Trump. This turns out this, the thing that's done. Well, that's a spoiler. The documentary kind of sets up something cool and fun at the end that, you know, maybe sure. Great. Cool to think about. What if, um, but yeah, Jerry Falwell is not a piece of shit because he likes to watch his wife have sex with a pool boy. He's a piece of shit because of the way he treated that person and also because he persecutes people for their sexual identities um, while having a non-normative sexual identity that he would persecute. And not just persecute, but like go so far as to influence legislation. Yes. So, yeah, three big fuck yous to Jerry Falwell. Uh, anyway, God Forbid is – is it great? No. Is, is a documentary great these days on streaming services? Is it super entertaining? Absolutely. Is it, and it's something we should think about, you yeah. know? Like what happens when you put someone on a pedestal that's unrealistic? They're going to fail you, Right. Uh, would this have been a safer environment had he been taught that it's okay to bring a consensual third into your relationship if everyone consents <laughs> and you're all emotionally strong enough or whatever? Like probably a lot of things in his life would have gone differently. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Uh, maybe it would have never been the same, you know, if he hadn't married someone that he met when she was like 14 and he was like 20 or whatever. So that's another piece of it, you know? It's like uh, autonomy. 
So anyway, this is a, a very sort of, you know, um, flashy documentary, but it's also, there's a lot of stuff to think about. So and this is on Hulu, correct? It's on Hulu and it comes on the heels of, I think it was like on Discovery Plus, this like Hillsong three-part documentary, which was super poorly done, but I still think worth a watch if you have been or are currently in sort of any um, non-denom circles. <laughs> Uh, and three big uh, resounding fuck yous to Hillsong Church as well. <laughs> While we're, we're just at it. We're just spraying everybody today. Yeah, but look, if you want to record music and use the proceeds to cover up uh, the rape of young men in Australia, you go right ahead. You do you. Mm. So, do. yeah. Is it raining where you are? Oh, no. Is it picking that up? I can hear Yeah, I can hear it in my headphones. I don't know oh, if it's... no. I mean, it's okay. I, it's... Maybe okay. All right, I moved my microphone out from under this. I, I work under a, a light. So anyway, God forbid is really a note about like uh, there's some doc- there's some good documentaries about out there about like how we should think about religious leaders and mixing religion and legislation. Um, mm. So yeah, because something to think about. Sorry, my movies are bummers. <laughs> I mean, this also has like lots of people in bikinis at poolsides in Miami and like <laughs> and like uh, you know property deals gone wrong and. You know, like people sharing, you know, explicit videos of each other. So, you know, like if you're into that too, like it's cool as true crime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, the next movie on our list is one of mine. This is a movie called The Banshees of Inisherin. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Okay. This is, I saw this in theaters about a month ago, and it, it is, uh, it, it's kind of a two hander. It's got Colin Farrell once again. Oh, wow. And um, Brendan Gleeson. And this is it's it's made by um, the the same director who made like In Bruges. I don't know if you've seen that, um, but basically he another movie with these two actors. Uh, and and so the movie is set on a remote island, or not, rem- but it's basically set on, on a small island off the coast of uh, Ireland in 1923. So you have and, two movies uh, that you have to drive a boat to get to, and two movies with Colin Farrell. Yes, absolutely. You're, uh, we're developing it. a pattern here. I love it. So, so here's the premise of this movie. One day, out of seemingly nowhere, Brendan Gleeson's character decides he does not want to be friends anymore with Colin Farrell's character. So the, okay. the whole movie – and you, you enter into the movie thinking like, is this whole movie about one guy just breaking up with his friend? And the answer is, yes, it is. This is that, – that is the premise of the movie. And, it, and this is I'm, – I'm not giving anything away that's not in the trailer. At one point, Brendan Gleeson gets so fret, fed up with Colin Farrell, like, pestering him about, like, why don't you want to be my friend anymore, that he tells him, the next time you bother me, I'm going to start cutting off my own fingers. And so then kind of the, the insanity of that premise ensues. So I'm, I won't give anything else away about it. Again, it's not, it, nothing that's not in the trailer. But um, it is – uh, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of a crazy, um, it, it, it's kind of a crazy meditation on sort of what happens when um, people stop being kind to each other, and yeah. what, what happens when um, there there is conflict. Just and one of the backdrops of like in the backdrop of this whole thing is there's like a like the Irish Civil War is going on off the coast of Ireland. So like every once in a while you just start hearing cannon fire in the middle oh, of yeah. the movie, and so it's obviously sort of an allegory of like civil war, and um, and so it's it's a really interesting movie, but it also is like weirdly darkly funny in several par- parts. Um, I probably will have to watch it again when it comes out on streaming and watch it with the subtitles on because everybody's got very thick Irish accents. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's really, really good. I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it was one of those movies, like, as I'm leaving the theater, I thought, like, 
I'm probably going to be thinking about that all day tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those movies that sort of sits with you for a little while. Um, so it's it's a really, really good movie. The Banshees of Inisherin. So that is uh, that. That's that. And uh, then next on your list is Thor: Love and Thunder. This is our I'll, only Marvel movie. I'll keep this one short. I'll buy back some time here. Okay. Uh, ask me if I remember two specific facts from Thor: Love and Thunder. Do you remember two specific facts from Thor: Love and Thunder? I do not. <laughs> uh, I had a blast, man. It follows some of my favorite uh, Thor comic books. Yeah. Specifically, that featured Jane. Uh, cancer patient slash Thor character. Yeah. Um, and they're great comic books. Yeah, this, this and, follows the Jason Aaron run of, of comics. And th- th- this is this is my favorite Thor run from the yeah. comics. Yeah. It's the top it's top three easy. Probably my favorite too. Um but it doesn't follow it 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 incorporates that run very impressively into an almost forgotten about Thor two. <laughs> To make the whole thing canon beautifully. It's like, it's great. Uh, specifically, how does it do that? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, what are, who who is in it besides Thor and Jane? Uh, characters that you love. Christian and Bale. from other movies. Christian Bale was in this movie. <laughs> great. I don't remember. You don't remember? It was Christian a Bale was the best part of this movie. As Gordon the God Butcher. I just had fun the whole time. <laughs> That's what I remember, is I remember just being like, absolutely, the whole time. Just like, sign me up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's great. And everything doesn't have to be highbrow. Like, great. Yeah. Th- this is definitely not highbrow. No. For sure. Um, th- this beautiful. movie, I-, I had a hard time. Th- 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 here's the problem with this movie. And I-, I had fun watching it. But my problem with this movie was, because it was made by Taika Waititi, I expected it to be the next Thor, Thor Ragnarok, which yeah. I loved. And it just wasn't as good as that, and I and so I had a hard time like readjusting, like recalibrating my expectations because I, I loved saw it, it twice, and it I brought a little bit. Uh, sorry, I was interrupting. It brought a little bit of that Ragnarok feel back to Earth. Yeah, not specifically Earth, but like back to Earth is in the figurative phrase. Sure, I mean, and also specifically some, but yeah, I guess some know. of the movie does take place on Earth in New Asgard. Yeah, yeah, it, but it does like. Uh, it does sort of like tone down some of that like eighties metal like weenie weenie meow guitar solo energy uh, into like something that's I don't know it's it was fun I had a good time yeah it, it was a fun time at the theater I took my kids and they they had a good time and that's a lot of times with these Marvel movies that's kind of the best I can hope for you know yeah, what I mean let's like, all enjoy this yeah and and um there were three Marvel movies that came out this year and I had kind of the same response to all of them, which is I liked it, but like none of them like blew my hair back. Like I'm, yeah. I'm still, I'm still kind of seeking the, the, that high that I got from watching Captain America winter soldier, which is my favorite one of those movies. And, um, like every time I go see a Marvel movie, I'm hoping it'll be the next one of those. And it just yeah. never happens. So it took I'm, me, you know, it took me a while to get through Dr. Strange. Yeah, but I, I will say I'm excited. I did not have a good time, but I'm excited for everything it's set up. That, and that's kind of the thing about these movies too is like even if you don't enjoy them in the moment, you can think like, well, maybe maybe they're it's getting to something later that will pay off. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is what Marvel's been doing forever is trying to get you to read the Ghost Rider one off of the Civil War series. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, I had that. I had two copies of it. Because one day it was going to be worth something. (laughs) 
Well, all speak, right. Speaking everything, of Doctor Strange, everywhere, the, all at once. Yeah, th- there's there's another movie that dealt with the multiverse, which is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Did you see this? I did not. I've heard about it everywhere. Yeah, this yeah. movie. Th- this was kind of the little movie that could this year. It was kind of it, it was really. I mean, I say little movie. I mean, it, it obviously had a pretty substantial budget because it did a lot of really interesting things. But it was, it, it was released in the midst of like it, it was. I don't think anybody expected this movie to do as as well as it did, and it, it was really really successful. And basically, the premise of this movie is you have Michelle Yao who um, plays a woman who runs a laundromat and is trying to do her taxes. And in the midst of that, she discovers that there is a multiverse, and she is supposed to save the multiverse. Um, but she is this version of her is the worst version of her. Oh so, no! So <laughs> she, so she has to sort of battle through like all these different dimensions. And there's so it is this movie is just it's a lot. There are lots of things going on in this movie, and I, I've only seen it once. I saw it in the theater. And it was fully worth seeing it, but it was—it's another one of those movies that I feel like I'm going to have to see it again in order to catch all of the things because it's like two plus hours long, and it just—it throws a lot of ideas at you, and it just—you it, see and experience a lot of things, and almost to the point where you're you're out of breath by the time the movie's over, and it is um it, it is fully worth watching. It is really really good, um but I, I'm going to need another viewing in order to really absorb everything that happens in this movie. But uh, but highly highly recommend everything everywhere all at once. Nice. And then finally on our list is I, just, I, I needed to add another one because you and I both have the Batman, so that that gave us nine. So in order to, to have ten, I had to add a, t- a tenth. So this the, it was a movie called Vengeance. Have you seen Vengeance? No. Okay, this is a movie you'll you will like this movie, JB. Um, okay. It is it's written by, directed by, and starring BJ Novak. Okay. And, oh yeah, April's talking about this. I watched it a little bit over her shoulder. I saw a lot of Waterburgers. Yes, yeah, Whataburger plays heavily into this movie. It's ba- it's basically Shep a- found out about Whataburger, and he called it Wet Burger for a couple weeks, and I hate that he quit. It's a common mistake, I think. <laughs> Wet so, Burger. Uh, so, yeah, basically, it's a fish-out-of-water water story. Water? Fish-out-of-water story. <laughs> Boston. And uh, I don't know Waters. how that happened. Um, but uh, basically, B.J. <laughs> Novak plays a podcaster who um, – who, a girl he hooked up with a while back has died. And she's from Texas, and her family believes that he's her boyfriend. So, um, because I guess he's in her phone as as someone that she she had been with. So, oh, yeah. um, so they call him to tell him like your girlfriend has died. And so, in order to not be rude, he flies to Texas to um, <laughs> to go to so her funeral. To <laughs> and the the family is convinced that the, the her death is not an accident that it, she she's been murdered. And they kind of um, they they recruit him to sort of help. Um, find out who murdered the the girl and seek vengeance upon them, and it's all, all right. very Texasy, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's. I a do good love movie. a Texas. This is like Bernie. Uh, it's not quite as Texasy as Bernie, but it's very Texasy. You can't. I mean, uh, you can't out Texas Richard Linklater. Is the thing. No. So <laughs> Bernie is perfect. Bernie is perfect. So, Did you watch BJ Novak's movie, his TV show last year? No, but I heard it was good. It was it was a wild run. I've been thinking about a couple of the episodes this week. Nice. So that's Vengeance. And Vengeance is really, really good. Uh, I, I, I realize I, I keep saying th- these movies are really good, but that's why they're on the list. So anyway, those are the movies that we, we saw and enjoyed and wanted to talk about this year. So JB, you ready to move on to TV? I'm so ready to move on to TV. Okay. you The first item on your TV list is a, a show that I have not seen, which is Somebody Somewhere. Yes. All right. Tell me about this. Uh, Bridget Everett. That's her name, right? The- I, I do not know. Uh, let me double check this real quick. I'm so sorry. 
I just got to make sure we nail this. Bridget Everett, yeah. Okay. All right. So these, the I mean, it has got an amazing cast of just brilliant people that I don't, I mean, none of them were familiar to me. And then there's Bridget Everett, and she's great. She's fantastic. Um, and it's just about, um, it's about being queer in the South, but like in every sense of the word. Which is a really sweet exploration because, like, the South is kind of queer, you know? <laughs> and it's really beautiful. It's just really beautiful. And uh, there's this um, there's this moment where they're doing this event that uh, they call church, which is just sort of like uh, open mic that's um, open-minded. So it's like a secret open mic that uh, one of the gay members of the local church hosts and invites mostly queer people to, to perform. And I love it because they're all like talking about like, Oh yeah, this is church. Oh yeah. Take me to church, you know? And it's like, that really is church. And also that's a really Southern thing to be like, anytime you find like really just like life in something being like, Oh, we're at church right now. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. It was so beautiful. And so like reverent in its irreverence, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. Like it really aspired to, it really loves the things that it's poking at and also trying to change. Like this is a show about how hard it is to be different in the South made by like people who love it and who really are working on it. And it's, I, it's, I guess I keep saying South, small town America, like rural America. Yeah. I'm looking at the premise now and it says uh, it's in Kansas. It's Kansas. That's not even the South. That's the Midwest. I mean, same, same basic rural, a rural America. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing is it just feels like home. It feels like small town home. So, uh, if you were ever different in a small town, this show is, uh, really, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, I don't know how I missed this. I, I had no idea uh, the show existed until just now. It's gorgeous. Fred Rococo, the character Fred Rococo, played by Murray Murray Hill, is um, I've I've known a number of Fred Rococos, and they've all been special to me, and they've all been just very uh, agricultural small town people, and I, and uh, I love it. So somebody somewhere, it's like it's a it's not that long. It's really sweet. It's it's a it's a warm hug, you know, it's oh, like, a great. it's a quiet dinner party with like five friends. No more. That sounds really nice. I'll have to check this out. Yeah. It, it looks like the next season's about to start too in January. So that it's, it's a good time to jump on praises and blessings, good tidings and good vibes. Good. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, my favorite movie of this year was the bear TV you, show. Did, yeah. Or, sorry. Did I say movie? Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my favorite TV show of the year was The Bear. Did you see The Bear? I, I had not and was kind of like at some point – I had heard a few reviews that were a little iffy on it. Really? And April, April had been trying to get me to watch it. And then when you sent it over, I was like, well, I guess if I have to do research for the podcast. <laughs> it was so, great. I had a good time. Did I you totally watch the whole understand. Thing? Yes. Watched the whole thing, I mean, in a matter of two days. Yeah, it's a quick watch. And, uh, and it's like not one that you can – it's like you finish the episode and you're like, what am I going to not watch the next episode? <laughs> I, I watched this whole thing in one day while I had COVID. 
And yeah. it was, um, yeah, it, it, and I, I was so grateful for it because I was so miserable with COVID back in the summer. And I, I thought, like, when I watched the first episode, I thought, like, well, at the very least, I can enjoy myself watching this. So, yeah, um, yeah th- this show, it takes place in a kitchen in, uh, in downtown Chicago or somewhere in Chicago. And it's it, the, the premise of the show is you have this guy who is sort of a Mich- I think a Michelin starred chef yeah. or has worked at Michelin starred restaurants. And his brother, who owned a, like a beef sandwich restaurant in Chicago, has died. And you, you find out sort of as the show goes on, like how he died and who the brother was and everything like that. But, uh, but so this guy, Carmine or Carmi, uh, comes back to Chicago to take over the sandwich restaurant because he's been like the brother has left the sandwich place to to him. And so it's it's kind of a like he so he, it's it's going back home. It's uh, rediscovering your roots. It's trying to to find excellence in a place that kind of is resistant to that type of thing. And change the, any change any change. Um, and the cast of characters is so good. I I, I absolutely love the yeah. guy who plays the pastry chef. He's, the guy who who's yeah, like he spends the whole season trying day. to perfect the donut. One donut, a yeah. single donut. And uh, I, I just, I really, I love these characters. I cannot wait till the next season. I, I, I don't want to give anything away because things sort of unfold as they go. There's one episode that happens late in the season that's, it's like 17 minutes long, and the whole show, the whole episode is one take, and they're playing Wilco's Kid Smoke over the entire episode. Yeah. And it is so stressful, and it is so exciting. And by the end of it, you're like out of breath. <laughs> And uh, you're, it, you're it so does feel like you're running the whole time. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it's a great. It, I, I want to say it's a great distraction, but it's much better yeah. than that. It's just. It's. It's a very, very good show. I will say the one critique is only a critique because it is a strength, in that the show has like this really incredible diverse cast, and I don't mean that like in the way that corporate hiring practices mean that. I mean just like the cast is full of different people, and they all have different interesting stories yes it spends a lot of time on sort of like two guys who have a more homogenous story that is also more maybe a homogenous experience to what we experience in the media and it just feels like i hope season two i hope we get some like episodes that follow i want to follow the patriot chef for at least one whole episode well we got a lot of sydney who is the um the 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 sous chef the the young african-american but i mean even sydney like her story is so interesting and we got so little of it yeah, I, I hope we get a lot more of her. Yeah. But, um, it could have also benefited from maybe longer episodes or a longer run. I, I mean, I, I would have watched as many. If they doubled the number of episodes, I would have yeah. watched every one of them. Probably the sure. same amount of time, you know? <laughs> I'd have yeah, taken fewer bathroom right. breaks. Yeah. But uh, th- this was, yeah, this, this was, it was really exciting. Um, I, I've heard it compared to Uncut Gems in the Kitchen, which I, I think is. He's yeah. kind of right. Like the the first the first episode opens on the on, on the shot of a clock ticking away. Like, and you sort of get like that's sort of how the whole show is paced. It's kind of a breakneck speed, and um, man, it's just I I uh, I don't know that I enjoyed anything more than I enjoyed the show this year. Yeah, cool. So and I and I had COVID. So like I mean I I enjoyed yeah. it in spite of my <laughs> my life situation at that moment. So I had um, a blast watching it. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tons of fun. All right, so the next thing on our list, this is yours, but I did see this. This is the after party. Yeah, the after party. So I'm I'm a Sam Richardson stan, ride or die. Oh, he's so good. You know what I mean? He's so funny in the show, too. The only thing that could like get me out on him is if we found out that he was just actually the guy from Little Buff Boys and not just playing him. <laughs> Have you seen Little Buff Boys? No. Have you seen, um, I guess it's the Tim, Tim Robbins, I Think You Should Leave? Oh, Yes. Oh and, yes, 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 yes. I know. <laughs> little yeah, I know Buff Boys. 
Uh, he's just like his smile is the most beautiful thing on this planet. I could I could just stare into that guy. Like if I met ever met him in person, he would get creeped out because I would just look into his eyes for a long time. <laughs> I just think he seems like so kind. Like I think he seems genuinely kind. Like an impersonation, uh, uh, an embodiment of the word kind. So, and then also it just has everyone in it that's great and funny, like Zoe Chow, Alana Glazer, Ike Barinholtz, Tiffany Haddish, Dave Franco, Ben Schwartz, John Early, like uh, you know, like John Early's low on the list, and he's one of the funniest people in the world. Yeah, it, the thing that makes this show so so interesting too is how every episode is a different genre. They they basically because they retell the same story every episode, yeah. and it's from the perspective of a different character. And each character like sort of sees their life as a different kind of movie. So like Sam Richardson's character sees everything as like a rom com, yeah. and then Ben Schwartz's character sees everything as like a uh, like a big theatrical musical. Right. And um, th- and there's there's one girl who like she gets a, like a li- little segment. She sees hers as like a German concept art film. And um, Ike Barinholtz is an action movie. Action movie. That's right. And and so they 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 all have their own sort of like tone and genre. And it's so it's so smart. It's it's smart how it. Um, it's pull, Scott pull. Pilgrim meets Agatha Christie. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's so fun. It is. It's tons of fun. And it, and it's a. I think it's a pretty satisfying like mystery. Yeah, I I mean like you could tell me that it's not. You could. Oh no! Sorry. I just had a, a YouTube video autoplay from a different tab. Oh, no. Uh, that was really loud and disorienting. Sorry. I didn't hear it. You could tell me the after party is, like, not good. You could be, like, you could be a reviewer and be, like, this is actually not that good. And I'd be, like, oh, okay. And you could tell me, like, this is actually one of the greatest pieces of television that's ever been made. And I'd be, like, oh, okay. You know, like, I have no idea. I just love it. I just had so much fun watching it. Uh, and fun is the operative word. It, yeah, it is, appointment it, television it's, it's for April and I. Yeah. yeah. We got to do that thing where you catch it like on episode five and you watch like five episodes and you just just straight into the veins. And then you've watched five episodes and you're like, what do we do now? And you have to wait until like Tuesday, you know? Yeah. She's like, what is today? Thursday. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had so much fun with that. Anyway, after party. If you want to have fun, like if you don't want to have fun, that's great. Don't watch the after party. If you want to have like a, just a fun time with just a massive amount of charming, kind people, the bad guys are played by like people who are notoriously kind. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, it is wonderful. And Tiffany Haddish like is there the whole time to just be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, she's a great audience surrogate. She, she's she asks such all the same a good audience. Yeah, yeah. Like I want to see Tiffany Haddish play the um, mailman in Our Town. You know. Yeah. Like, let's get that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, next on the list, Better Call Saul. I'm, I haven't watched this season. You have. Yes, Better Call Saul. This was the final season of the show. They wrapped it up. It was really well done, and they did they did some pretty unexpected things, especially with the, the final three episodes. But th- this was one of those shows that you sort of watch it, and as you watch it, it's kind of a slow burn. But at the same time, yeah. they're doing a lot of really great char- character work, 
and really deepening how we see the world of like Breaking Bad was just it was propulsive. And I'm I'm, I'm certainly not one of the there there are, there are those out there who will argue that Breaking Bad is not as good as Better Call Saul. The Better, better Call Saul is actually better than Breaking Bad. I'm not one of those. Breaking Bad was one of those shows that every single every every episode I had to see what happened next. That was not Better Call Saul for me. Better Call Saul was just a really good character study. And it was a really um, interesting examination in terms of like what happens to a person when they're like they like morally sort of corrode, but in a different way than Breaking Bad. And yeah. you sort of see like the like this this kind of one note character from Breaking Bad has such a rich inner life and has like such an interesting backstory. And yeah. um and they I, I felt like the uh the conclusion was really satisfying. And um I how you take a prequel and make me say like I have no idea what's going to happen here is pretty amazing, you know, because that is the magic sauce, man. The intro video that they play in the very first episode uh-huh. of Better, you're like, whoa! How do we get from there here to there and back to there? Yeah, because you know, yeah, you're it, just like this map doesn't work. Yeah, it, and and you see that in the in, like you said in the very opening scene of the very first episode is yeah. he, it's not before he becomes Saul Goodman. It's after the events of Breaking Bad and he's working at Cinnabon in Nebraska. So, like, you, you have to ask, like, okay, so what what happens after that? Like, what happens to the guy who works the Cinnabon? And you get a little bit of that towards the end of the, of the final season of Better Call Saul. And, again, I won't spoil anything. If, if people are still catching up on Netflix or haven't, haven't caught up, then uh, j- just know that it, it is I, – I found it very satisfying. Can I th- – so while I was watching – this is an older season, the season where you find out about his brother. I went over to fix some stuff at a house that I was renting to someone – and I discovered that she was going through the same thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, at the house, at my house. <laughs> and, then I was, and I was just like, uh, "It's." I was like, when I, she first moved in, there were like some rubber glove fingers that had been put onto all the metal surfaces, like handles and stuff. And I was like, "Huh." And then, like you know, after I watched Better Call Saul, and I went back over there like months later. I was like, "Oh, this all makes sense now." <laughs> ah, this is wild. She was great. But I did not see that coming. <laughs> oh, how interesting. And then, like, any time she came over or something, I was like, do I need to turn the lights off? Would that be weird <laughs> if I asked? Would it be weird if she came in and all the lights were off? <laughs> all right, so the next thing we have on our list is Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. This is a sports movie, t- I mean, a sports television show that you would love. I've seen it. I watched every episode. It was great. It's so good. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even a sports guy, but man, I was. I was riveted by this show. And th- yeah, this is. It, it begins. It, it basically follows the the season of Magic Johnson's rookie year. Yeah, at, at, with the Lakers, they tie together in like. There's an episode early on, but not episode one, so I won't say it explicitly. Where they tie together like what Magic Johnson is publicly most uh, praised for and faulted for as the same trait. And it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, and well, and the guy who plays Magic Johnson was great. Yeah, he's going to be a massive movie star for the rest of his life. I thought. I, also, I thought the guy who played Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was great. Is incredible. Just I and thought the guy the, who the whole played thing was cast really well. Yeah, the guy who played. Um, oh, I just forgot his name. The coach that became um, Pat Riley. No, Pat, yeah, Adrian Burks, Pat Riley in a bad wig. Yeah. <laughs> like, worked, though. That's the thing about that era is, like, you could have a bad wig. No, everyone was perfect in that. Everyone was perfect in that. Um, the people who – it was very uh, Yon Winter, Sticky Finger situation, where, like, when it came out, 
the people who were upset about their portrayal. Oh, the guy, the Jerry, oh, what's his Jerry name? Jerry Wexler. Jer, uh, yeah, the, the guy who, who was the coach before um, the first it's coach. The guy the coach. It's not Jerry Wexler. No, not Jerry Wexler. Um, Winning time. It's going to make me so mad when I look this up. Jerry West. Jerry West, that's it. The guy who's mad all the time. Yeah, and then Jerry Buss, played by John C. Riley, who, John C. Riley is perfect. Very good. In everything. It's so, 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 so good. Who plays his daughter? Jeannie? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the name of the actress. She's incredible. She was good. And I think they're going to do more with it because it's been renewed for another season. And what, what the, the, the question now is, like, how are they going to do future seasons? Are they, is every season going to be one season of basketball? Are they going to do a time jump? You know, like, there's, there's so much of, like, the Lakers, the, the history of the Lakers, I have learned, is really rich and interesting and, like, full of crazy stuff. And so, like, yeah. they, they could do a lot with the show. But the question just becomes, like, how much time are they going to devote to each season? It's Hadley Robinson plays Jeannie. Okay. Well, Quincy Isaiah plays Magic Johnson. Yes. Quincy right. Isaiah, if you see him cast in anything, go see it. Like, I don't I, – maybe this is a special – anything. John C. Rose, Jerry Buss, uh, Solomon Hughes as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Wood Harris as Spencer Haywood was, like, standout. He's great. Yeah. The, the whole, I thought the whole thing was cast just super well. Man, and they took – it felt like they took some upper deck basketball cards of these guys and just found the person who looked like that the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these guys who they cast all look just like their like upper deck basketball card. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's very impressive. It's so, so – I mean this, every character in this show is cast at a level of like Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree. It's so good. Yeah, it was so good. And the basketball, I don't know. Yeah, the basketball is fun to watch. Uh, it was very sort of like Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Or like Glow, you know, where like the sport part is like really well done. Yeah, I thought I thought so too. I th- it was I, done exactly the way Ted Lasso isn't. <laughs> I, I don't complain about Ted Lasso. That's I wish there was more soccer in Ted Lasso because there's a few, like the, 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 uh, What's the guy's name? The other striker? When you have two aces? Oh, uh, Danny too Rojas? Fr- too freely. Yeah, Danny Rojas. Yeah, the episode where he's in there, I'm like, this show needs more soccer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good episode. All right, so, winning time. On to Stranger Things, which okay. I, I have not watched past season one, so let's go. Catch me up. I enjoyed the crap out of Stranger Things. There, there were a lot of complaints that Stranger Things season four was too long. Be like like certain episodes were over two hours long. Oh wow! Yeah, like like feature length film too long. long. But the thing is, it's good. And so like if if you're gonna give me good content, I'm not gonna complain about how long each episode. Like I'm I, I I would be willing to sit here and watch twelve hour long episodes. So why not watch eight two hour long episodes? You know what I mean? And so yeah. like I'm I'm gonna break even eventually. So. The, the the I thought this was the the best villain they've had since season one, and I. I this is one of those things. I, I think it was watched. Like I think it was pretty successful. I think this this may have been the most successful TV show Netflix ever released. So this 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 last season, I, I could be wrong. It's possible that like Narcos was more successful like worldwide. But like Dude, in Narcos America, is so good. Narcos is great. But like I think in the United States, I think I think Stranger Things season four was 
uh, like topped out their their viewership. So um, so I, I don't know how spoily I can I can be here, but there but you haven't seen it, and if you ever do decide to go back, I don't want to have spoiled anything. But the, it's fine. the, the oh there there's one guy there's a character the character's name is Eddie Munson, and he runs the D and D club at school, oh, and yeah. they they do a lot of they do a lot of really interesting stuff with like eighties satanic panic. Yes, surrounding this kid, and um, and he is so, like he's the breakout star of the season, and um, just really, really exciting, really charismatic character. And um, there, there's a lot of um, there, there's a lot of lobbying to see him in, in other projects because he, he did so well. There's some some things that with like original characters, like the Mike character, who's the main focus of the first season. Yeah, uh, not that interesting in this season. He, they kind of they kind of made him not super compelling uh, in in the writing, but that didn't matter that much because the whole rest of the show was so good. So um, I, I was on the edge of my seat. I, I, so I, like I watched Harry Potter book four, <laughs> where it's like I'm kind of not into Harry anymore. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's a good comparison. Um, but and yeah. and they just sort of flatten him a little bit. And I I don't know if the plan is to make him more compelling later or um, or what. I don't, I'm, I'm and and the thing is about this because there's so many characters now. They they had to spread them out and put yeah. them in different situations and. And not everybody was doing really exciting things all at the same time. In fact, you, you there 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 was one storyline involving Winona Ryder and David Harbour that if you would just cut all if you had taken all that and lifted it out of the show entirely this year, um, I wouldn't have noticed that it was gone. Um, but uh, it, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like, well, we have these actors and you know we have to use them for something, so I guess we got to put them somewhere. But um, that was by far the least interesting part of the season. But overall, it was a really compelling. Uh, season of television and i i watched every one of them like as soon as i possibly could and right I, was, I was riveted so stranger things season four more than worth watching I i'm gonna have to check out just for the dungeon master oh my yeah brother uh my suit and tie brother not the uh the suit and tie one uh who is all who is a uh loves a good rule the are more arbitrary the better and is an amateur illustrator uh he recently found out about the role of dungeon master. Oh yeah, and he is uh, slowly becoming or quickly becoming the world's greatest. Oh, nice. game leader. <laughs> he sent me like a, a video, like some spreadsheets and some illustrations of the world that they're going through the other day, and I was like, "You dudes have no idea how lucky they are." The last, the only game I ever played was run by a meth tweaker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, Stranger Things season four, I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth, worth saying here other than just, yeah, I I would watch it. I I think it's, it's more than worth watching. Um, and then you have Andor. Yeah. I mean, Andor is my favorite Star Wars movie. Andor was Uh, really good. Andor is a pretty solid argument in the column of every movie could exist in the Star Wars universe. It is a, uh, it is a. It's like one of those protest songs where you don't realize how hard of a protest song it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the interviews with the guy. He's like, I, I didn't really realize I was writing anything radical. <laughs> uh, I wasn't writing it necessarily in real time. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's some of the best television I've ever seen. I, I, I totally agree. I thought it was very good. And then also, my 12-year-old son didn't like it. And he well, loves Star Wars. He will one day. I, Did he I like Rogue he, One? 
he did like he loves Rogue One. Rogue One is his favorite Star Wars movie. The thing is, he, yeah, he felt like it was too slow. He he really like he's one of those kids that like likes to. He, he's in it for the lightsaber fights and the, yeah, and, you know he'll like I mean? it later. He'll like it later. It's yeah, it he is will. slow. It is. There's a lot of the like, last episode entry. is worth it. Any, yeah, I thought so too. Well, and like all the scenes with Mon Mothma, he was like, "Oh no!" Like, and I was like, "No, you don't understand." They're like, "How do we fund the rebellion?" Like, that's that's a major question that they have to ask. It's right. like, I don't care. The so, the dealer, the antiquities dealer, <coughs> and the rogue are they the same guy? or Are they not the same guy? Uh, no, I don't think he's ever been in anything up to this point. I think and I think Andor is the first time we've seen him. No, 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 in Andor. The Antiquities Dealer and the, like, Rogue. Uh, the Antiquities Dealer and the Rogue. I th- oh, I are, thought you meant Rogue One. No. Are they the same guy? Who's the Rogue? I don't know. The Luthen. I'm, I'm not placing it. I don't, like, Is you, Luthen the guy that sells the stuff to Mon Mothma? Yes. Okay. They just look different when he's not wearing the robe enough that I've been panicking. That well, I'm he not. was wearing a wig and a robe. <laughs> okay. Yes. But, yeah, it's the same guy. All right, cool, cool, cool. He's in disguise, but yeah, um, Andor. Yeah, man, I I really enjoyed Andor. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it says a lot about the prison industrial complex. It does. The, the um, just sort of like petty crime to prison debt to um, free labor pipeline that we run here in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which is something that's always been. You know, I spent years writing about that for newspapers, and that's something really close to my heart. So, it, yeah, it hit hard, and it, it came fast. You know, you weren't like, "Oh, we're going to sit down and, and you know really think this." It like it really slaps you in the face with some big stuff. You know, it does so. well, and apparently Tony Gilroy, who writes the show, has a three season plan for this. So he's he's got a fantastic. Whole, so yeah, this is part. Basically, this whole season was part one of three. That he's already planned out. Yeah, I started episode three. You know, going at episode three. I mean, episode three is where it really picks up. But I started episode three thinking, like, man, I hope this picks up. And then at the end of the season, I was like, you know, this kind of has to slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we could do. We could go as long as we need to on this. Well, and I wanted more. You know, by the time it's over, you think, like, man, show me what happens exactly after, like, one minute after this scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to see next. How about that used car lot? <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> it was great. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. So this this is yeah this this is the Star Wars show that I think we've been wanting in in terms of like it's not just a retread. It's not just like taking old characters and recycling I've been wanting them. this my whole life, and it has happened. You it's know? great. Yeah. I well, it shows you what you can do in the Star Wars universe without just resorting to like more Skywalker stories. Yeah, you know when I, mean? I was a kid, I used to be like, "Why don't we make a different movie, a movie about a different part of the Star Wars universe?" Yeah, and then I was like, it, "It could even be a thing that already happened that we just don't see. You know, a thing we know about that we just didn't see." And I was like, "And then why don't we just make a TV show out of it?" Yeah, I, I remember like arguing with people on the playground about that when I was a kid, and this, <laughs> now it's literally like my favorite thing. You That's know? exactly what they did, and it's great. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah. And anybody who's like, I don't know, they're ruining stuff. It's like, fine, just watch the original three. That's okay. You don't have to watch this. That's exactly right. It. Like, you can watch as you can consume as much or as little yeah. Star Wars as you choose. You don't have to engage in all of this, you know, brilliant cinema. <laughs> it's very, yeah. It, it, it's, it, I think brilliant is the right word. It, it's really well thought out. It's very well written, very well acted. 
it's um you know, it's I think it's what a lot of Star Wars fans have been clamoring for for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and plus it's just a good espionage war movie. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Andor streaming but on a TV Disney show, Plus. so it's really like ten of them. Yeah, yeah. All right, so tell me about We Own This City. I don't, I haven't, I don't know that I know this. Okay, We Own This City is an HBO show. This is written and created by the same people who created The Wire. Okay, and, and I love it the also wire. Um, yeah, David it, Simon's on it. David David Simon is the creator of the show. Okay, I'm gonna watch it then. It's it's very it's it's a, it's a six episode miniseries. I think is it based weeks. on a real story? Yes, it's it's based on it's 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 a true story about cops in Baltimore, and it takes place in Baltimore. So it is sort of like a a spiritual sequel to The Wire. Yeah. And um, it, it follows it, – it, it mainly follows like police corruption, like real-life police corruption in Baltimore. And it follows a guy – and I can't remember the name of the cop, but he's played by um, John Bernthal, who's excellent. And um, he, he plays the, the main kind of corrupt cop. And Yes, yes, yes. I've seen this. Uh, he's in the episode of BJ Novak's TV show that I was, I've been thinking about. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's, he's good in everything. Um, in, including the bear, which we saw earlier, not to, to, to totally spoil, but he makes a cameo yeah. in the bear at some point. Okay. Yeah, and when he shows up, you're like, of course, that's of course, it's John. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, Me and April both said that out loud. She's like, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the show it, it's a really good little mini series about police corruption and systemic, basically like how like the the systemic. Things that happen in the midst of corrupt—it's not just like bad cops; that it, it actually ends up like polluting and corrupting the whole system. And it, it kind of gets into um, like the courts and um, just yeah, as, as any David Simon show will, it will tell you yeah. like the systemic issues. It's not just a one bad apple situation. It, it there there are deeper there are roots to these kinds of problems. It's got the guy from News. Uh, from Sports Night, yeah, Josh uh, Josh Charles is in it, and, yeah. like almost unrecognizable. He he plays he plays a, another like a like a, a famously Baltimore corrupt cop, yeah. And um, so yeah, it just good performances, good good writing all the way through. It's another one of those that I'll probably have to go back and rewatch at some point because it's very dense. It it, it, it takes place over the course of three timelines and it jumps it jumps timelines a bunch and um and kind of the centerpiece is the the um. In, internal what's the 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 basic the iad investigation of, yeah. of these cops and you sort of see that kind of unfolding as you go um but if, if you like the wire you have to watch the show all right yeah i mean i love everything david simon does same um we, show me a hero is like perfect show me a hero is great um i even like treme i thought treme was really good I love season one. I need to finish it. My I've, one of my best friends is from New Orleans, and it's his favorite show, like in an obnoxious way. I believe, it. I, but I, I, I don't do. Know how you can be from New Orleans and not love that show? Ah, this is my. This is a spoiler. It's old. It's been out for forever. Yeah. I do regularly think like, oh, John Goodman. Man, I missed him. I know. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, we own the city. Really, really worth watching. So then yeah. talk to me – speaking right. of – we talked about Better Call Saul earlier as a prequel show to Breaking Bad. You've got House of, House of the Dragon, which is a prequel show to Game of Thrones. Yeah. Neither of which have I seen. So you're yeah, – They did a great job. They did, I mean, I, it's like, did you like Game of Thrones? If the answer is yes, then I have not seen it. you'll love House of Dragon. Did you not love Game of Thrones? You may love House of Dragon. It's um, – can I tell Honestly. you, I, and th- this is just me personally. I can't get into like the the magical, mystical. Like I tried really hard to watch the Lord of the Rings show, and I thought it was so dense, and I just I just couldn't get into. So it. I, yeah, I really I c- wanted to like it. 
I really want to watch, watch the Lord of the Rings show and like it. I can't. The part of J.R.R. Tolkien that I cannot do is the part where, like, and it happens in every story where there's just like normal stuff happening. Sure, maybe it's a Hobbit, but it's a Hobbit eating breakfast, right? I can do right. that. And then the Hobbit looks up at a wizard, which, sure, this is a book about wizards. I was prepared for that. And the wizard's like, "Let me tell you a tale of how this biscuit came to be." And the Hobbit's <laughs> like, "Ooh, do tell me." And he's like, first, there was the Earth." Gaia, she was God. She was the mother elf of all other rings. And it's just like, okay, I gotta go. I got somewhere to be. Yeah. Uh I love I love so much of that stuff of those books and the stories, but like yeah, those moments, like the video games, anytime you're playing a video game and you get a cutscene. And you're like, oh, cool. Here's what we learn about, you know, the, these characters a little bit. And it's those characters staring at like a hologram of a god angel elf spirit being like the orcs. Well, what? You know, it's just like it's just like nonsense backstory. Anyway, sorry. You're good. I, I mean, it, all that to say, like, I have a hard time getting into like high fantasy kinds of things. Right. So, like, I've not seen either Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. But you're saying if. If people out there enjoyed Game of Thrones, they also will enjoy House of the Dragon. Here's what I love about House of Dragon, or Game of Thrones even. Like, there's dragons. Okay. So I hear. So we can, if we can do that, if we can just understand that, the rest of it's pretty close to just, like, old back-in-the-day stuff. Castle Day stuff, you know? Uh, even the magical mysticism stuff is, like, stuff that they would have believed back then, you know? That very well could have just been... Weird mushrooms and scurvy, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just medieval stuff, which is fascinating. <laughs> it's a lot of planning trade routes between races and nations. And a lot of just scathing uh, murders. <laughs> just so, just, just people scheming and murdering each other. The thing I will say, all right, so if The Wire Season 6 is Game of Thrones, which is like very expansive... <laughs> Then House of Dragons is The Wire Season 1. Okay. Does that make sense? That it's it's more concentrated? It's a block or two. Okay. Now, uh, I guess Game of Thrones kind of started out smaller, much smaller. But, it, uh, yeah, it's nice. The performances are brilliant. Um, yeah, it's good. Cool. So you would recommend it? So yeah, do you if you like any sort of medieval sort of thing and you're looking to have a good time, check it out. I will say it's heavy. The first episode has some like um birth stuff. <laughs> just like if you've it, yeah, just a spoiler alert there. Like if you're you know, if me saying birth stuff makes you feel any sort of way right now. Um you get maybe, maybe take some time. Yeah, unless it makes you feel some kind of way because you're just like a dude who can't handle talking about birth, then go watch this episode and learn about the consequences of birth, please. <laughs> please. Otherwise, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It was fun. Nice. Well, I heard, oh, I got, heard good things. I just, I just never saw it. Yeah, it's great. You've got seven. Oh, I will say House of Dragon. You can watch without watching Game of Thrones. This is like a reboot. It's not a reboot. It's just a different place in time. But it's also so long ago and in a fictional world that it doesn't matter. So it could be a different universe or it could be the new 52 or all new, all different X-Men. So you're not going to have like Game of Thrones characters just like popping up? No, they, won't, they aren't alive. Oh, okay. There's references, but you, it just, it'll just be references to 
things in this world's history. Or you know what I mean? Like Yeah. And and Game of Thrones is in the future, so like they're not referencing Game of Thrones. They're referencing things that Game of Thrones referenced. Okay. So yeah, it's not it's just like they're referencing similar source material. So there's a shared history. Yeah. Okay. All right, you've got Severance, a yeah, show Severance. that I, I really should watch. I, I can't believe you haven't seen this show. I so, know. It seems like I should, right? Yeah, the premise of the show, and the, the premise is given away very early on in the first episode, but it, it kind of unfolds in, pretty, some, in some pretty crazy ways after that. But basically the idea here is what if you could separate your work self from your non-work self? That, like if you go – like so you have these characters who go into work and they become – and they have no memory of their life outside of work. And when they go home, they have no memory of work. And what you realize really quickly is, oh, that's hell. You know what I mean? Like your work self is in hell because you have no yeah. life outside. Because you, initially you think like, oh, that would be a great idea. What a, what a freeing thing to do to yeah. not have to worry about going – you know, like having to worry about work when you're at home. But then the, the flip side of that is like what about your work self? Your work self is a slave. And, um, and so it kind of gets into that like dual consciousness of like is – can you can you think of your work self as a separate person yeah. and um in in what ways is is that person being oppressed just by virtue of you doing this and so um it's it's it asks some very interesting questions about uh consciousness and free will and just um just kind of explores those ideas but it also there's a lot of like unfolding mysteries that show up throughout the show it's um and, and it's shot really interestingly too. Ben Stiller directs not every episode, but I think most of the episodes. And the art direction and the the cinematography of the show is really interesting. It's like it's nothing I've ever seen before. It actually kind of reminds me of like a Terry Gilliam movie, and um, and so it, it in a lot of ways it reminds me of like a Brazil or something like that. And um, it, it it it's just it, it's a super clever premise and it unfolds really well. And th- by the time the last episode happened, all I could think was I just can't, I cannot wait to see season two. Well, I'm gonna have to catch up. Yeah, it's on Apple TV Plus, and yeah. it's highly, it's very, it's very worth watching. I think I was like healing from some work stuff when I first, when it first came out. So, oh, uh, so like this maybe hit a little t- too close to home to you? Yeah, everybody's like, it's so funny, and I was like, it's not funny. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too is like it, it, you get the sense that it's going to be a comedy, and it's really not. It's almost like a horror, you know. Yeah. Like you, you, just, you, you have this realization of like, oh, these people are trapped, and it's it's not it's no fun for them at all. Yeah. Um, but you hear Ben Stiller, and you think, oh, it must be funny, <laughs> and it, it is not. It's not funny. Um, I mean, it has, it has certain moments that are that are humor centric, but it's not it's it's not a funny show. Um, then you have a show on here that I have been dying to get into and I just haven't had the time yet. Which oh, is Welcome yes. to Wrexham. Another sports property that you will love. This is, and it, this is a quasi-documentary, right? It is a documentary. Yeah. So uh, Rob McElhenney of Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Mythic Quest are his two big things. Yes. He's, he's great. Uh, he, does, he has done some really cool stuff. Um, within like the context of some like really lowbrow stuff, which I think is really cool. Um, he's completely changed his body for multiple episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is really funny. Yeah, and committed, and he has—I don't know—he's like really committed to some like big moves, in uh, in big performances. He's an interesting cat, Rob McElhenney. Yeah, he is, and I, I think I like him. I think I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, so him and Ryan Reynolds became like phone friends. I, I, I kind of get the impression during the pandemic, Okay. which uh, I get 
me and a, a old college friend of mine, like we, we talked on the phone every day during the pandemic, just because like we were both sad. <laughs> it's just like one day, you know, you're texting all your friends about how crazy is this? You know, and then one day, like one of them texts you back, like I'm sad. And like I'm sad too. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what happened, um, sort of with them, and uh, they're both just so charismatic, and they both like insist on tagging everything. Like you're having a normal conversation with them, and they're both trying to figure out the funniest way to end it, and um, like the driest way to end it. You know? Yeah. Like there's a scene. April's watching it now. And there's a scene where he's talking through this team that they have purchased, this real professional soccer team that is the center of a small town, uh, industry town in Wales that they have purchased. And they're talking through this with an executive producer from TV shows he's worked on who he is hired as the like executive officer of this football team. And they're talking about a hundred thousand dollar investment they're about to have to make in the football, the, the pitch. And they're eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches <laughs> on camera, which like peanut butter, famously the worst thing you can eat when you're trying to communicate on camera. Right. And it's just so like, that's just the way Rob McElhaney thinks. Like you could tell me that's how he lives his life. Like serious conversations over PB and J's. I, I would believe that. But you, I would also believe the story where they're having this conversation and they're eating lunch and he's like, hang on. And one of them is eating, making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He's like, hang on. They reset the cameras and they make two giant peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and have it again. So like, who knows? But the premise is like him and Ryan Reynolds buy Wrexham AFC football club in Wales. They don't know anything about Wales. They just, Rob McElhenney found out that if you lose in soccer in England, if you're in last place in the league, you go down a league. And if you're in first place, you go up a league. And he was talking to a, a guy who worked in a show and he was like, Hey, why do you watch this stupid sport? <laughs> He's a Phillies Eagles fan, you know? Yeah. He's like a big tough guy sports fan. <laughs> He's like, why do you watch soccer? They pass it backwards. And he tells him, you know, the more he learns about it, he learns about relegation. So he's like, wait a second. So the Yankees, if they lost every year, they would wind up playing in a beer league, a softball beer league. And he was like, literally, yes. <laughs> and he goes, all right, what's the lowest level that I have a chance of getting to Premier League? And how much does it cost to buy in? <laughs> so it's basically like real life Ted Lasso. Yes. They, he, someone had seen Ted Lasso and also had been having this kicking this idea around. Hundred percent. If the ownership group, yeah, and this has happened before to a degree, but not like it's like big sports ownership groups go into England from America, but it hasn't been like, yeah. So anyway, Deadpool and Rob McElhenney as the sort of chant they all have in this stadium. So, you know, obviously terrible things start to happen. You know, the field is the grass dies or. They don't have the title to the, the deed to the property because the last owner was trying to fleece the entire city. They don't speak Welsh. They, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they have to buy enough players to be able to be promoted to the next league while only getting paid while being in a league that doesn't have profit sharing. So, like, they don't have the money. If they lose, if they build a team that can move up and they don't move up, they don't come in first place. In other leagues, you can come in like first, second, or third. They don't come in the first place. Then they are stuck in a team without in a league without profit sharing with a team that costs too much money. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, and it's but it's Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. So like everything is just quippy. 
but they also fall in love with each other throughout the episode. There's an episode about like where they sit down with a psychiatrist to talk about like, is bromance an okay thing to say? Or is that just like trying to make us feel good (laughs) about having an actual genuine caring relationship with another man? So there's like fun little diatribes, but it's also very like real life Friday night lights. That sounds really good. I've I've heard really good good. things about the show. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's Ryan Reynolds. So like they, he like, he's Ryan Reynolds will do anything (laughs) for money. Yeah. So like he's selling, you know, he just does stupid stuff to get commercial money. You know, they, they are sponsored, you know, that's how they're floating the team is through like all these wild sponsorships. Nice. You know, they're like, Hey, TikTok, we'll be complete assholes of ourselves. If you sponsor our team jerseys, (laughs) TikTok's like, okay. And, you know, Rob McElhenney's always saying funny stuff like, yeah, between the two of us, we have like six million followers, <laughs> <laughs> which like, that's true. <laughs> Rob, Mac- you know, Ryan Reynolds has 5.5 million followers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Ryan Reynolds is like five inches taller than him. And like, he's, it's just like Rob McElhenney knows that he is like a middle brother as yeah. a person, like a human embodiment of middle brother syndrome. And he all he thinks it's hilarious to place himself next to people who are just like slightly taller and more handsome. Yeah, and it's so good. It's so heartwarming. I cried. I wept multiple times. I laughed so hard on planes in public. You know, like it's it's good. It sounds great. It's so good. I hate that I didn't watch it the day it came out. Like I was so mad. That I watched it all at once instead of watching an episode. Like, this is the kind of show you need to yearn for week to week. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yes. this is the kind of show that will tug at your heart and you'll think about it until the next one. And I cannot wait. I am currently playing a FIFA franchise as Wrexham FC with Ted Lasso as the manager. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. That's an option on FIFA now. So. Nice. Anyway, you'll love it. Check it out. Cool. I will have to. I absolutely will check it out. This is one of those I'm kind of waiting on Caroline to be ready to watch it with me because she'll like it. Well, here's the deal: watch it, let her see you reveling in it, and then you can watch it again. Okay, that's what I'm going through right now. Is a good second watch. That sounds great. All right, so our final show on the list to round things out is Barry, and just to buy us a little bit of time. Um, okay, first of all, are you caught up on Barry? Yeah, we've and like here's the thing about Barry: we've talked about Barry on the show before. Everyone knows it's great, but. Still great. <laughs> it's great. And um, quite frankly, I have no idea what they're going to do next. Like, the, this last episode could have been the final episode. It probably maybe should have been. Hopefully we won't say that next season. But, like, it really could have been. This season was insane. Like, I I yeah. never in a million years thought that they would do the things that they did in this season. The scene where he, like, shows up at where while they're working on that scene is, like, one of the most intense scenes of television I've ever seen. I know. it. Yeah. And Bill Hader... God bless him. He is so good. He is so talented. I, I, I mean, he, he's he's one of my all time like he's a top five all time favorite yeah. SNL cast member to me. And I I had no idea he had the dramatic chops to do this a show like this. Oh yeah, his episode with Mike Birbiglia on Mike Birbiglia's podcast. Yes, working it out is I've watched listened to it like three times. I'm not a rewatcher or a re listener like really at all. Um, that's how good Rexham is, and that's how good this episode of this podcast is. <laughs> uh, but they talk about um, how every time he like brings a script to somebody, they're like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it. 
Mike Birbiglia also says, uh, you could talk like anybody in the entire world, and that's the voice you choose to use. <laughs> <laughs> and to which he's like, <laughs> you know, like he can't stop laughing at yeah. his like, dumb laugh in the corner. And then he says uh, to Mike, he says, yeah, here's my impression of you. Yeah, and they weren't even my pants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Barry. Sorry, what were you going to say about Barry? That's Henry all I was going to say. I, was, I, I, I had very little to say other than it, it was excellent this season, and I can't believe that the show just exists. It's, it's just, it's, it is crazy good. I mean, if you, like, described, if you just, like, log-lined each season, you know, if you're just like, well, Barry's trying to figure out what to do with his acting career while balancing his waning roles as a serial killer and trying to fight that karate person in that supermarket and tree. Yeah. Season season three. <laughs> it's like, and then season four would not make sense with that. Well, season three, this was also the one where he he like motorcycles over to that person's house, and the whole way like there's people trying to kill him. Yeah, and he he, he keeps just like getting like sidetracked by by people trying yeah. to assassinate him while he's just on yeah. the LA freeway. That was yeah. that was an incredible episode. Yeah, that she's just so inconvenienced by it. Yeah. Um. <sighs> So anyway, that, that's uh, that's TV. So let's talk music. Yeah, let's talk music. All right, you have the first album you have listed here is Nation of Heat, One Revisited by Joe Pug. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's just Nation of Heat. Pipe. It's like the pipe. Oh, the I line. see. Oh, it's not, it's not a one? No. Okay, uh, Nation of so Heat Revisited. He wrote a record. He wrote this record, Nation of Heat, when he was a very young man. Um, Joe Pug. I... I Found out a joke about Joe Pug because he has a podcast called The Working Songwriter where he interviews working songwriters. Yeah, all I've listened to it. It's good. Oh, okay, great. I had never heard of Joe Pug as a songwriter, even though I've heard of everyone he hangs out with. Mm-hmm. And, and not only heard of, am huge. his best friend's BJ Barm of American Aquarium. I think anyone who's listened to a few episodes of this podcast knows how I feel about Not American the last Aquarium. mention of Aquari- American Aquarium on no, this episode. No, this either. won't be the last time we talk about BJ Barm and the boys. Um so I listened to Working Songwriter for a while, and I really was – I loved this. He reads poems. He introduced me to my new favorite poem in, in his uh, podcast with Hayes Carl. Um, like all-time favorite poem. Uh, I love the questions he asks. I love hearing from people who are, uh, you know, just like me, like who make some money writing songs, you know? Like that's great. I want to hear from people like that. I want to know how I can maybe make – a little more money writing songs or how I can be a little happier with my songwriting. And, um, it's really good. And so one day I was like, all right, I'll go listen to it. And I listened to his first record nation of heat. And I was like, sure. Fun. And then I listened to his podcast a bunch more and I was like, all right, I got to give this guy a real chance. So I listened to nation of heat revisited, which he recorded this year with a full band. He took all the songs, just went back through them, did them again. Not like remastered, like redid them all full band. It's one of those things where it's like, this guy, you were how old when you wrote these songs? You know, like, geez, these songs are beautiful and heavy mm. and good. And, um, yeah, Joe Pug, man, he's been soundtracking a lot of runs, a lot of life. Cool. What would you compare this to? I don't know. It's definitely like, you know, white boy Americana. Um, he's got like a weird... You know how sometimes you are worried about whether or not you can like someone who has, like, an effect on their voice? Yeah. 
He kind of does, but I, I've listened to enough of him talk and sing now that I, I think that's just the what he sounds like when he naturally sings. But I've also realized that like you, he gets paid to sound interesting. <laughs> it's in his interest to maybe affect his voice some, mm-hmm. even though I do think this is just how he sounds when he just opens his mouth and makes noise. Um, yeah, it's just like it's Americana. It's good. It's um, you know. It might have been like college radio or adult contemporary a few years ago or a few decades ago. Uh, you'd definitely like it. It's it's good. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's just really tight songwriting. And a bunch of his records are good. So, um, But this is just such a cool project to just run back an old record all the way through, do a full band as like a grown adult man that he wrote when he was like 20 or whatever. So. Nice. I also saw him at the um, the Motor Lounge in Fort Worth recently. And oh, really? One, which was kind of weird and cool. It's really nice on the inside. It's in a strip mall on the other side of town. So that sucks. <laughs> but uh, you know the sort of like bombed out looking place across from the dog park on the right side of 121? Are you pulling into Fort Worth? Uh, the, mo- the Motor Inn? No. Oh. Anyway, it's great. Uh, and I saw him there very recently and it was... A magical musical experience. Oh, that's awesome. He was one of those things where he showed up to a bigger crowd than he thought he was going to get, and a crowd that knew a lot more of his lyrics than he thought they would. And so he got to play with that, and it was really cool. That's great. And on his encore, he just walked out, and he told us to make a circle. And he just kind of spun in a circle while he sang a few deep cuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was a real sort of reward, you know? So, yeah, Nation Heat Revisited. I'm a full Joe Pug fan now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And this, this is so cool to just see somebody redo a whole record. You know? Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift did it. She it's sure cool. did. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, the next thing we have on our list is Lucifer on the Sofa by Spoon. And yes, I, sir. I think you had recommended this to me. I, yeah. At the very beginning. No. When I first moved here, we were at Fuzzies. You were like, what have you heard? And I was like, not much. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 was not, it was not the best year for music, in my opinion. And, no. But, but th- this was, I think this was my favorite record of the year. Yeah, it's cool. Tell me about why you liked it. Um, I, just, I, I like the throwback nature of, like, it's kind of like an old spoon. You know what I mean? And yeah. very guitar, like stabby guitars. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good melody. A lot of, a lot of just good songwriting. And so... Um, if, if you kind of have an itch for good rock music, this, this will scratch it. And, um, I, I, I just, I, I found this, this to be a really engaging, really exciting record. There's, there's no, I don't think there's a bad track on it. It's, 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 it's just solid. If you've seen Spoon live and you like, and you, your favorite part is when like Brit just sort of like does something different than what they were planning on doing. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the band's like, all right, that's this record to me. Yeah, I can see that. I've never yeah. seen them live, but I, I, I could envision what you're You've describing. never seen Spoon live? I've not. Next time you see them anywhere near you, you and Caroline, get some tickets. Get some babysitters. Shh, they are cool. April's not like a Spoon fan, but I played a bunch of Spoon around the house leading up to it. I was like, please just go see this band with me. And so she knew the songs in her head. You know, they just made her made slip their way into the, her, her uh, subconscious. And they are just so cool live that the whole time we were just looking at each other like, they're so cool. <laughs> yeah. 
They're so good, dude. They're so good live. That's great. It's like an arena show. Imagine that you see like the most professional version of the Foo Fighters you've ever seen, but like in a small theater. Nice. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, I'll have to see them if I ever get a chance to. Perfect. Um, all right. The next we have Chickamaconico by American Aquarium. Dude. All right. The first time I heard this record, he, you know, he kind of got the band back together, uh, you know, and he's done some rock and roll here lately. And so I, when I first heard this record, I was bummed out. Like you it's, didn't like it? It's just country. He's singing in his lower register for a good chunk of it, Can, which yeah. I think just took me a minute to like be good with, you know, cause he's like a hauler guy, you know? Yeah. He's just a big country hauler. And, um, this record is kind of sad. The first record's about, I mean, the first song, I, I don't know that it's about like losing a pregnancy, mm. but that's what it feels like to me. Um, that's the first track. Um, I remember, my dad picked me up for a road trip this year and I got into the truck and he said, is good with you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, cool. I just needed some cheering up. And I was like, cheering up. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I was listening to that new, we were on our way to Atlanta to watch them, uh, with a deem, the artist who I'm going to talk about in a minute. And, um, I was like, cheering up. And he was like, yeah, I've been listening to that Chica Kamada, whatever record. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, dad. Cause there's a song on there about losing your parents. That's the saddest song I've ever heard in my entire life. And my dad had just lost his dad. Oh, gosh. And when this record came out. And I'd found out that like he'd been listening to this record a lot. And I was really, I don't know. I was glad to hear that he had a song for that time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you worry about those kinds of things when your dad's like a, you know, a southern guy. You yeah. know, you worry about that. And there's this, you know, he had Avett Brothers, his favorite band, and they do a good job of that. But then this song, the first year, is about losing your parents. And it, he'll, like, tell a little story about, like, his mom or his dad and then he'll, about a holiday. And then he'll be like, anyway, it's been about a year since I lost you. Happy Mother's Day. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, dang. But the, I love it because the last track is all I needed was a song, which is such a beautiful, beautiful. It's about having a bad day and turn on the radio, turn the radio on and out comes a song. Um, it's about hearing a song that like you really need to hear at the right moment in time. And it's beautiful. It's it, and it's it's upbeat. It's nice. It's fun. Uh, it's in uh, it, one afternoon, that three minute tune was my coming of age. Uh, it's a lyrical sucker punch to the face. There's just like some really good turns of phrase in there. And it's just about like how music can really like give you a lifeline sometimes. Mm. Then there's a little things about, uh, just having a kid. And, uh, it, it's about how during the pandemic it, it took, um, it took things slowing down for him to realize like why he was out on the road, why he was out there trying to chase the paycheck yeah. for his family. And there's this line, this beautiful line I think about all the time. It's, uh, I used to be a singer who knew his way around the microphone. Uh, now I'm just a, wait, no, I, I used to be a singer with a wife and kids back home. 
but now I'm just a father and a husband who knows his way around a microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such a good song. It's such a fun guitar part too. So there are these like little moments of like really upbeatness on this like really sad but beautiful record. Um, you know, built to last. Like they don't build a heart like they used to. <laughs> it's like a very like, you know, uh, talking. You know, they don't build cars like they used to. Sort of conversation, but about heartbreak. I, yeah. I don't know. It's a good. It's a good record, man. I'm glad you like it. I I kind of had the same reaction that you said you initially had, which is yeah. like it's not for me and it's a little too twangy and like kind of almost like cliche country. It didn't live up to that. Like their their last couple of records came on like a huge hot, like just a big rock and roll kind of wave. Yeah, and, and this first this record does not do that. No, I I was I mean. I, 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 I'm really glad you like it. I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by this record. Yeah, it is specifically a bummer. Yeah. Um, but I think listening to BJ right his way through some of that stuff was really helpful for me. Uh, I had a tough year, last two years, and like specific some of the same stuff. So yeah, it was helpful. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it meant something to you. Yeah. All right, tell me about Lucius. Okay, so Lucius, the, 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 their album Second Nature came out this year. Lucius is a, is a group that I was not that familiar with before this, but Dave Cobb produced this record, so I naturally— Great job, Dave Cobb. Great job, Dave Cobb. And um, it, it's really poppy and melodic, and uh, but it has that Dave Cobb sound, sort of sensibility to it as well. Yep. Sounds um, great. It does <laughs> sound Have really you listened good. to it? I have. I have a very similar feeling with this record as you do with the uh, Chicka Kermanum Co. Oh, really? Yeah, I, Lucius is— I think I just with Lucius. Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Lucius. I think they're great. Yeah. I just don't have any connection point to them. And the th- I know a lot of people who I really respect and, and adore even who think so highly of them. And so I've just sort of, like, taken everybody's word on it. Yeah. I, and, I mean, this is, uh, like I said originally, th- this is this was not a strong year for music. Like, on any on any other year, probably none of these records would have made my top five. But it was just, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. it, that, th- th- there were a lot of solid, like, B-pluses for me this year. But no, there were no A's. And um, and so this is one of those, like, B, B-plus kind of albums. And there are a couple of songs on here that are really, um, that are just fun and really upbeat and poppy and um, enjoyable. Brandy Carlisle makes a, uh, makes a guest appearance on one of the songs, which is always a plus. Yeah, yeah, always a plus. Um, oh, so, I'm okay. going to go see Pink open up for Brandy Carlisle at Globe Life Park in Arlington next year. Are you really? Oh, my gosh. This is going to be my first Brandy Carlisle experience. I cannot wait. I have a friend who's flying to Phoenix for that show. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great show, I'm sure. Yeah, my um, dad texted me in April and he was like, "You guys, would y'all go see Brandy Carlisle at Pink Open for, or is that a minus column thing?" And we were like, "Oh, exclamation point plus." Yeah, that's gonna be a great show. Yeah. So I don't have a whole lot to say about Second Nature by Lucius. I, I just it, it it just ended up as, as the second my second favorite album of the year, just from from a sonic standpoint. Not. I, I don't know enough about production and like that kind of thing to speak intelligently about like why it sounds the way it sounds. I just know that Dave Cobb is doing a great job. Yeah, I, it's fun. It's a good record. It's fun to listen to. They, they sing great harmonies, and they they do write they write great songs. They do. And Dave Cobb is a great producer. And he, it's one of those things that it's like you ever read like a classic, and you get on Goodreads and you say complete, and then Goodreads says, "What would you rate this book?" And you're like, well, I'm not going to give Frankenstein two stars. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read Frankenstein. That's why I use that as an example. But no, it's a good example. You, yeah. It's like everything about that record is fine. It just doesn't resonate with me. It's good. I mean, not fine. Good. Yeah. 
it's great. It, you, you can you can appreciate it as a technical achievement while not necessarily responding to it on your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now next you you kind of called an audible. We had a Death Cab for Cutie album here, but you decided to replace it with a Deem the Artist. Yeah. So Death Cab for Cutie, Asphalt Meadows, great record. Spotify will tell you uh, it's the most listened to record of mine this year. Sure. Uh, it's new Death Cab. It was wonderful. I loved it. So many good runs. Um, was I in their 1% top 1% of listeners this year on Spotify? Of course. <laughs> and we all knew that was going to happen, right? Uh, but Adeem the Artist put this record out on Friday, last week, uh, first week of December. It is called White Trash Revelry. I saw Adeem the Artist at that American Aquarium show in Atlanta that my dad and I were driving to. We thought we were going to go see Carolyn Spence. Stay tuned. But... She didn't open for them, and Adim, the artist, gets on stage, and we're like, who's this? And they are this, just like, uh, it, white trash revelry. It's just this beautiful, like, the queerest country music. It's like queer blue crawler country. It's so, it's just about being different in the South. Uh, there's a theme to something, some things that I found <laughs> comfort in this year. Yes. Um, and my dad and my brothers and I have been talking all weekend about all, you know, all kinds of stuff because we were just together for the first time in a little bit. And, it, it, you know, my, you know, we're having these conversations. My dad's like, do you feel like they just kind of uh, pulled the whole rug out from under you? He's like, like, I'm a Southern guy and everybody's telling me that I'm like super liberal. And it's like, I used to have a cattle farm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, how is being kind liberal? <laughs> I mean, he's like, sure, but what happened? <laughs> and there's a song, you know, about, um, you know, My America and Redneck and Unread Hex and uh, Heritage of Arrogance. And he played, I think it was My America at that show. And we all kind of looked at Dad and we were like, he played one for you or they played one for you. Sorry, I said he, that their pronouns are they, them. I said he, I goofed. Uh, and so, um, yeah, and then they played a song. Uh, they were like, hey, so, you know, I was, I was uh, deconstructing sort of everything I believed in and um, I was hanging out with a bunch of Episcopals. They were like, if you're going to be, if you're not sure whether you're going to hang on to, you can either hang on to the things you believe in and be a fundamentalist, even in the face of change, or you can take the new things that you've learned and adapt them to your own thing, or you can just believe in nothing. He's like, if you're trying to believe in nothing, though, the Episcopals are chill. <laughs> To hang out with, and then they played this song, um, Going to Hell, which is hilarious. And it's like, Do you want to go, uh, children, do you want to go to hell with the deem the artist? In heaven, they play country songs, but in hell, we play them loud. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, there's some beautiful songs, um, about just being like a southern person, uh, who was taught that we should be kind to our neighbors and that we should love each other and that we should care about justice. And then we wake up one day and we look around and it's just like, what? Uh, and yes, yeah, so there's some really beautiful songs. Um, run this town is funny. It's about, uh, basically the Colleyville school board and the middle of a heart is a really beautiful song. Um, the it starts off learning to hunt deer you know, I learned to put a bullet in the middle of the heart and mama's going to be so proud when she sees all the deer meat in the freezer. This, you know, I don't know. He writes these beautiful storytelling songs. Uh, but also their record before this, it, this just came out. The record before this has been a soundtrack for me this year. Um, just moving and 
everything. Uh, it's called Cast Iron Pansexual. Like Cast Iron Pan. <laughs> but, yeah. But Cast Iron Pansexual. And it is so good. And there's a song on there called Going to Heaven. And this new record has a, has a sequel, Going to Hell. But there's another song um, called Fervent for the Hunger, which may be my uh, song of the year. Even It came out um, last year, but it's the song I probably listened to, spent the most time with this year. Fervent for the Hunger, Adin the Artist. It's a very beautiful song about um, seeing yourself in God's image. Nice. Yeah. Anyway. So long, long. Uh, anyway, Adim the Artist, though, is the greatest thing going right now. If you get a chance to see them live, it is beautiful and hilarious. I, I mean, when I tell you that we were just four big dudes on the back row, just like crying on each other's shoulders and slap, like slap each other's backs and laughing and just be like, this is what he's doing you now. He's doing you now. <laughs> he had a song. I mean, they had a song for every single one of us. I'm sorry. I slipped up a couple more times with the pronouns. Um, so anyway, a demon, the artist, their record, um, um, redneck revelry, white trash revelry is a brilliant, brilliant record. That's great. All right. Well, hopefully people will hear this and check that out. Um, well, I have a uh, crooked tree by Molly Tuttle and golden highway. And actually I heard of Molly Tuttle because I think I heard her interviewed on Joe Pug's podcast. Yeah, yeah, she's been on. She uh, she's a bluegrass artist, and man, she can play she can play some guitar. Yeah, yeah. I, so I hadn't heard this record until you sent it to me, and I I did a run to it uh, Monday, I guess. Okay. And it was fun. It's a lot of fun, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you like some bluegrass, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah. This is sort so, of like she's like a female Sturgill Simpson. For sure, for sure, for sure. I will say I, I noticed um, the one thing I noticed is anytime I kind of felt like. We were going into a um, sort of a standard. You know, bluegrass has like licks and lines. Yeah. And anytime I felt like we were going into a standard, uh, she would do something different. Just like a little thing, you know? She was like flat something here or do a different shape of a chord there. And it was like, oh, okay. I see you. I see yeah. that. That was nice. Yeah. So it was really special. Thank you for recommending it. Anyway, Absolutely. Tell, tell me what you... What, what did you What did you love about it? Besides I, I mean, that, it was just fun. I mean, that, that's kind of it. I, I spent a lot of time driving around to this album, and I uh, just it, it's it's fun to have on. It makes traffic go go a little smoother, and yeah, it, it, um, it's just one of those albums that you you put on and you're like, wow, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm actively enjoying this record. And um, there's a lot. I, I listened to a lot of albums that were kind of like you said, or about or about American Aquarium earlier, like kind of a downer and kind of a kind of a slog. Uh, there, there were a lot of albums that just absolutely did not do it for me this year. And this is one that I, I just sort of randomly discovered because she was on that podcast, and I started listening to it, and I thought like this is different than most of the things I've been listening to this year, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So a lot of times, what I'm looking for when I'm l- looking for new music is I'm not I'm not really looking to be challenged so much as I'm looking to it just have something to enjoy, you know? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I, I want to be challenged. It's, it's not always that way, but like there, there are times that I just think like, man, I just want to, ha- I want to be able to put something on in the car and make it all the way to work without feeling bummed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, yeah. Molly Tuttle will do that. I'm pretty sure she has a really good audio tree session. Oh, really? Yeah. I have to check that out. 
Uh, yeah, so J- Molly Tuttle and Golden Highway, uh, Crooked Tree is the name of the record, and uh, I, I I listened to it all the way through without skipping a single track many times in in the car. So uh, highly. Recommend. I'm so glad you had a record that you completely. You know, like it's always how many records a year come out that you spend multiple times, no stops, no skips. Very few. Yeah. Yeah, very few. I'm glad that you've got one. I do, and and I enjoyed it. And who who knew that it would end up being a bluegrass record? It's a real things. William Tyler Highway Anxiety situation. Ah, the you know that instrumental country record, Modern Country. I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's got that. It's got that sort of like good vibes feel. Cool. Um, well, speaking of things that we enjoy, I I did not know until you sent this list that Caroline Spence had put in a new album this year. It's so good. Did I missed, you listen to it? No, I, I haven't gotten a chance to, but I I will. I I really liked. Her last album that you, you you recommended her her previous album a couple of years ago. I did, um, and I, I I bought it and really enjoyed it. And uh, I I, just, I I straight up missed this one. I just didn't know that it existed. Yeah. So Mint Condition and Spades and Roses. I've talked about on this podcast. Spades and Roses. I um I I've been meaning to go back and revisit because I re- I remember very very oh, much enjoying it. Spades and Roses is a perfect record. Yeah, it's. Very, I remember it being very good front to back. So imagine that she wrote a really beautiful record. That was all the same sort of vibes, but just a little bit more reverb, like a just a tiny bit of shimmer, like a, a just a little bit of rose wave, and like she had a good year. What would it sound like if like Carolyn Spence really like learned from all those mistakes and didn't have a perfect year, but had like you know a good year where she like took the high road every time, almost every time? That's what this record feels like, you know. It's just like. I'm happy for her, you know? If this is how things are going, good. I'm glad that you've, you know, because there were some sad songs. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a song like Blue Sky Rain, which is, I mean, like, strawberry wine. It's a it's a modern age is strawberry wine. I mean, even the themes, the way it feels, the way it's, it's not a copy by any means. Strawberry wine is about bittersweet, right? Yeah. Uh, Blue Sky Rain. Right, which one's it going to be? It's about that like good and bad, and the or the, the the best of both. Um, yeah, the song "The Gift" has really been sticking with me this week. Um, uh, what's the line? Time, time, you can you know is a constant. You can see it on your face, but um, what is the line? Um, but the only thing worth living in the end is the present. That's the gift. Mm. The only thing worth living in the end is the present. That's the gift. Nice. Anyway, yeah, listen to listen to it. It's so beautiful. You'll cry happy tears. I will. I, I will enjoy it. I'm I'm very much looking forward to checking it out when I get a chance. Uh, all right, tell me about uh, I, this one. I texted you about the other day. Yes, sticking it with sticking with it. Sticking with it by the dip. So the dip is a blue eyed soul. Um, it's it's mostly white guys um, playing what sounds like. Um, I mean, this guy, I, I think I told you when I first mentioned this, uh, th- th- this guy sounds like Otis Redding, but he's white. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he sounds a lot like Otis Redding. And, um, and and it's one of those things, like, if you can get past the fact that he's white, and he's obviously trying to sound like Otis Redding, and you just kind of get to the musicality of it all, this is a really good, like, soulful record, you know? Yeah, that's the thing that really kind of, the, the thing, like, if you're going to do Blue White Soul, like, you you have to, it, I don't care necessarily how good you are at it. I care about how, like, how much respect you have for the music you're playing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Absolutely. 
I mean, like, please be good at it. They there's like this record is re- is referential for sure. It is. It is referential. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. What did I take? I said uh, the I listened to the drums come in on the first track, and I thought, <laughs> "What's that line you always say? What are you doing to me now? What are you doing to me now?" It was the horns. Was it the horns or the drums? Oh, the horns. It was yeah. It was the horns and the chorus of the first song. <laughs> yeah, "Paddle to the Stars," which is a really good song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a great running record. It. I, I absolutely believe it, especially I, if you're just a little bit slow. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's um, th- this is probably the first record that I bought this year. Uh, actually, I, I say bought. It was sent to me by Magnolia Record Club, and I, I remember putting it on, thinking like, okay, like this is a good start. Like we're we're off to a good start for this year. And um, I, I did not imagine that it would end up in my top five at the end of the year, but it did. Um, again, it's a B plus album, and I, I I enjoy a lot of it. it it's probably not one that would have stuck with me if you will um yeah. in a in a stronger year but um this being 2022 it, it ended up in my top four or top my top five and um I, I i do enjoy it i i enjoy the sound of it at all I, like you said i enjoy the references um the mo- mostly the songwriting is really strong so i um it's great songwriting yeah, yeah good songwriting good musicianship so it's worth listening to the dip so then you've got pedro the lion havasu uh havasu havasu which I believe is like a city in the Northeast, but I could be wrong. Or the Northwest. Um, yeah, Page of the Lion was like an old Christian indie band. Um, Dave Bazan was the uh, front man. And he's he, he kind of got big doing... not I mean, Page of the Lion was like the, every indie band's favorite indie band, you know. Yeah. Or Christian Tipperary indie band. And uh, he is like... You know, agnostic or atheist or whatever now, and like does did these like living room shows for a long time. Yeah, and would do these like small single release LPs. He was doing like the sort of new model of internet musicianship a long, long time ago, like mail order, long time ago, and just very personal. And this record is basically just like about high school love, like very specific uh, stories, uh, and it's really beautiful though. And one of the songs is first drum set, which is a love song about his first drum set. And it starts off with this long story about how, like, he was playing clarinet because he wanted to learn how to play saxophone, but he had to start off at clarinet. And after two years, it was time to change. And But the band director said, I'm up to my ears in tenors and altos. And you're solid on the clarinet <laughs> is the line. I'm up to my ears in tenors and altos. Uh, just the amount of words and story he can get into a song and the way he phrases them is so good on, especially on this record. But this record ends up being like this great song. I mean, I'm a, I played it for Shep this morning and he's, there's no way I'm not, I'm going to get away with not buying him a drum set now. Ha. He was just so excited. He's like, I'm going to get my first drum set. And then the next track is Teenage Sequencer, which has this great line about, um, he, he just sort of like delivers everything sort of more poetically than like prose. Which I guess is lyrics, but he doesn't necessarily always present it in order. He presents it in like the most interesting way. Um, and Teenage Sequencer does a really good job of uh, sort of playing with that, with like lines and narrative. And it's just about like a first kiss and like the gym after volley- volleyball. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a beautiful record. So have a sue. Nice. Page of the line. Did you listen to Cruel Country by Wilco? Some of it. Yeah. 
You said something to me at Fuzzies that same day. Yes. You said sometimes Jeff Tweedy writes songs that can just be Jeff Tweedy songs. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like he, we don't have to release this. And I thought, that's cruel. And then I went home and I played it. And I was like, I can't imagine the guys in the band being excited about this music. I know. They're, like, they're are they proud of songs. this? They're on their own label. They don't owe anybody a record. I know it. I Well, I mean, okay, there's maybe five songs on this album that I think are really good songs. But the thing is, it's a 20-song double album. Yeah. And it's it's way too long. There's too I mean, and I realize, like, I'm, this is my fifth favorite album of the year. And all I'm doing is, is complaining about it. But I will say, though, um, in Jeff Tweedy fashion, I think about I, I've listened to, like, half of the first side. Yeah. And I think about I Am My Mother more than I should. For it's a, a good song. song. That, that, like that is one times. of the better songs. Um, so basically, and I mean, you remember a couple of years ago, Jeff Tweedy wrote a book called how to write one good song. And he talks about how, like he has this discipline where he writes a new song every day. Yeah. And I feel like he's this gotten into the thin. habit of releasing all of those songs yeah. and like either as like solo album songs or now as like a double album, Wilco country album, like, and Ode to Joy, I felt like was was not a good album either, and, and so I, I, I'm having. An yeah, issue. I think Star Wars was the last good one. No, I like Schmilko. I like Schmilko. Oh yeah, Schmilko was good. I had problems with it until I just it all got stuck in my head because yeah. it was like it kind of felt like it was all the songs were about nothing. They were just like kind of nonsense. Yeah, but um, they got stuck in my head after a while. So yeah, I feel like Jeff Tweedy's output. And I mean, I'm 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 an unabashed Wilco fan. Like I I really like so, there there are Wilco albums that are probably end up in my top fifty albums of all time. You oh, know, for you know sure, I mean? Sky Blue Sky, uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, um, also great. I, I, also, yeah, and so like, I, there there are certain Wilco albums that are like timeless. the self titled record. I mean, jeez, Wilco. So the whole up, yeah. Wilco, love you, baby, is my, one of my favorite songs, yeah. and it's on a, re- a song titled after the band on a record titled after the band, which is my least favorite thing. Yeah, I know, but it, I mean, they, the way they do it was really clever. It, but but this this album is one of those things. Like I thought, like first of all, this could have been half the length that it was. They, they could have put out a ten out ten song record. Could have been an EP. Could have been an EP. They, could have I mean, been honestly a secret. Yeah, <laughs> that was mean. It, it could have been something they really. I mean, I'm all for new out new. Uh, if, if Jeff Tweedy's got a new album in him I, and he wants to put it out, then God bless him. But yeah. to me, like th- this did not need to be a 20 song record. It, like this this song this this record could have used some editing. And the, the songs that are good are really good, and the songs that aren't are just sort of like they, they just like hit, like they fall really flat to me. All right, so, what are the songs? What what are the high points? The high points. Okay, hold up, I got to pull it up. Um, here, I got it all. All right, tell me yes or no. I am my mother. Yes. Cruel Country. Uh, yes, I think. Hints. Hold on. I need to go back to... I need to look at my star ratings. Uh, hints, yes. Ambulance. No. The Empty Condor. No. Tonight's the Day. No. All Across the World. Yes. Darkness is Cheap. No. Bird Without a Tail, Based on My Skull. No. Tired of Taking It Out on You. Yes, for sure. That's one that has the most plays, I think. Or yeah. second most. On you, uh, the universe. No. Many worlds. No. Hearts hard to fall, find. Uh, that's a maybe to me. Falling apart parentheses right now. Yes. That's that's the most plays. It's got one point one million plays. It's a good one. Please be wrong. Yes. Story to tell. Yes. A lifetime to find. Yes, for sure. Country song upside down. Uh, that's another maybe. Mystery binds. Yes. Sad kind of way. No. The planes. No. So you're like side two, disc two. Yeah, I, I think you could have taken this and, and again made it into a like maybe a, a twelve track album and it would have been great. 
Yeah. Cool. So that that that's you know that that's my instant take on this. I mean, maybe the guys over at Alpha Beta uh, Charlie or whatever it is. The I, I don't even think they're Alpha doing Bravo it. Charlie. Alpha Bravo Char- Charlie. I, I don't even think they're doing it anymore. But um, I would have been interested to hear their take on this. This. Sir, I was trying to think through all the alphabetical podcasts. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Cruel Country. It's it's a Wilco. It's a new Wilco album, so it needed to be talked about. And I, you know, I I, I didn't want to just like yeah. shun it entirely, but at the same time, I, I like it better than Ode to Joy. I, I, I liked all the uh, Wilco and the Bear the best. Oh yeah, the, the, that was my favorite Wilco of 2022. Oh, agreed. The Bear had excellent um, music editing. Yeah, April used to work in a kitchen that had a bunch of Wilco songs on the playlist that they played every day and did an update for years. And so whenever they're playing Wilco songs and melting down on that show, yeah, she's there. <laughs> she's like living her whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's the music for us. Um, and then I guess let's get to books. Books. All right, you have this time tomorrow by Emma Straub. This may be my favorite book now. It's like period. This comes into that that uh, Rachel Holt Evans, the late great Rachel Holt Evans said. Uh, if you're having a bad day, just remember that maybe you haven't read your favorite book yet. Okay, tell me about it. What is it? So Emma Straub wrote a book called The Vacationers, maybe like in 2016 or something like that. And it was a summer read hit, you know, NPR, everybody loved it. She had written a book called Laura Lamont's Life and Pictures before that, which was is one of my favorite. Absolutely. It's a masterpiece. It is massive. It is sprawling. It is beautiful. And so, um, but I read that way later. So I read The Vacationers. It was good. Uh, it was good enough that her next book, when it came out, it was called um, People We – hang on. I'm just going to pull up her – sorry. Anyway, Modern Lovers is what she would call her most autobiographical book. Not Modern Lovers. I'm sorry. This Time Tomorrow, the one I'm talking about right now. This Time Tomorrow, she would call probably her most autobiographical book. It is also a time travel book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It is incredible, man. It is so beautiful. And all right, so she, The Vacationers was great. Modern Lovers came out in 2016. It was good. I don't think I spent enough time with it. But then in 2020, she wrote a book called All Adults Here that we talked about on this show. And um, it changed my life a little bit. And uh, This Time Tomorrow is better than that. So anyway, she's all of her books are perfect. So uh, This Time Tomorrow... A friend moved to an, a, new, a person I hadn't met before. He worked at a, a pretty famous bookstore, moved to Tupelo, and we became friends. We were introduced. Um, and they had a son, Shep's age, and we had a great time hanging out with him. And because she worked at that bookstore, she was actually close personal friends with Emma Straub, who owns a bookstore called Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. And... Um, she, I was at lunch at her house one day. They were making oysters, Rockefeller, for whatever reason, just on a, a Saturday. And uh, they're very much the kind of people who text you randomly like, hey, we're making oysters, Rockefeller. Why don't you come over? That's <laughs> anyway, cool. Sure. Uh, <laughs> be there in a minute. And she was like, hey, I have something for you. And she handed me a galley copy of all of uh, This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. And she was like, hasn't come out yet. Doesn't come out for four months. And she accidentally left a very sweet note from – because when she told me she was friends with Emma Straub, I was like, great, friends with the name dropper. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then like, she accidentally left a note from her in the book and, like, they're close friends. <laughs> I didn't read the whole thing, but I was like, hey uh, – I read enough to know what it was. and was like, hey, 
Y'all, I mean, it wasn't like salacious or anything. It was just like they're close friends. Yeah. And so I told her how much I loved it, and she texted Emma, and then they texted me. And I don't know. It was sweet to get to talk about how much I loved it with Emma Strupp <laughs> before the book came out. That's I felt so cool. special. Anyway, it's also – it was my new favorite book before that happened. And it felt like – I don't know. We would have not been friends in high school because we were trying to do the same thing. <laughs> we were trying to be that same only only version of that person at the party. <laughs> yeah. And it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story about trying to be happy in the present because that's all you got. Like – uh, like uh, Carolyn Spence says, you know, and like I've been trying to work on for the last couple of years. Nice. L- I guess like American Aquarium too. Like that's all. Yeah. This is, that is present in my uh, list of things. So, uh, somebody somewhere as well. Anyway, sorry. Perfect book. This time tomorrow, Emma Straub. I mean, if you want to laugh and cry and read a whole big, beautiful book in like one sitting, even though you're a slow reader, have at it. I will have to check this out. That's, that, that, that is a strong recommendation. It is so good. And if you just like a book where like New York's sort of a character, but not in an annoying way, just mm-hmm. like actually is in the background there, it's, yeah. That's it's, great. It's perfect. Very cool. All right, tell me about Stephen Hyden's Long Road. Okay, The Long Road is a book about Pearl Jam. Uh, by Stephen oh Hyde. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, tell me about this. Okay, so they this is basically on... this is an exploration of like Pearl Jam as a cultural artifact and like how basically posing the question like how in the world did this one particular band survive as long as they have? No, none of the members of this band not have died like that, which is incredible. Like for as long as they've been around and you know living you know as as rock stars yeah. for as long as they have. E- even even none of all, all their former drummers are all still alive. <laughs> um, they all seem fine to be in a room with each other. Yeah, they, well, they they all went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame together, so they, they're all, you know, they're they're all on at least speaking terms, as, as far as we can tell. Yeah. Um. So it's basically about Pearl Jam as a cultural artifact, and like how how have they maintained? It, it's it's not just a history of Pearl Jam, which it is, but it's also sort of a um a cultural exploration of like how Pearl Jam became Pearl Jam as we know them now. Like they went from being a hit machine in the '90s to sort of being the um, kind of a countercultural, like it talks about their their war with Ticketmaster and how that um, affected their ability to tour, and their kind of it, it kind of tanked their um, their radio following. Like they, basically, they went to war with Ticketmaster, which made it difficult for them to tour. They also put together albums that were not like super commercially viable, like No Code, which yeah. is a, which is a good album, but there there are no like singles on that album, right? Yeah. And so it kind of explores, like, how in the world did Pearl Jam become Pearl Jam? Like, the Pearl Jam that we know in the mass today. So if you're interested in this podcast and, like, the history of music and bands and, um, like, rock bands specifically, if you, if you like Pearl Jam at all, then Long Road by Stephen Hyden is definitely worth your time. I'm going to check it out. I, they, he uh, was on a podcast. I think he was on there. If not, they just talked about it a ton. Uh, Time Crisis with Ezra Koenig. Oh, the cool. lead singer of um, Vampire Weekend. It's mm-hmm. a really good podcast that I've begrudgingly become an avid listener of. But they, they spent a few episodes on Pearl Jam. PJ. Nice. As they call it. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is good. 
Yeah, Stephen Hyden is one of those writers. Like he, everything he writes is really interesting. Like he wrote that book about Radiohead a couple of years ago. Hmm. He he ghost wrote the book by the, the the drummer from the Black Crows, which is still like one of the best books I've ever read. Um, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's it's called Hard to Handle. It's it's basically like all the spilt tea. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, we talked about it a couple of years ago on this podcast, yeah. but uh, it's still it remains one of the coolest books or one of the most interesting books I've ever read. So Stephen Hyden, always great. So Long Road is a book about Pearl Jam and definitely worth your time. So you have a book that I actually read, which is Secret Identity by Alex Segura. Tell me what you thought about it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It's about a comic book writer um, and it, in the, I want to say the 70s, 60s. Did it make you, did it remind you of Cavalier and Clay or Wonder Boys at all? I it reminded me a little bit of Cavalier and Claire just because of the of the subject matter, but I I, I didn't like it as much as Cal, Cavalier and Claire. But that's oh hard no, to say. but that's yeah, Cavalier, Cavalier and Clay is, is one of the best books ever written. Yeah, but the 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 sort of world that he built, yes. I felt was believe. Now he didn't build like the twenties world and the fifties world or whatever sixties world. He just built the one. Alex did yes, but yeah, I read a. I just finished today Alex's um, Poe Dameron Star Wars book. Which was fine, but th- <laughs> this book was so good, man. Yeah, it, it, this is an exciting book. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it really reminded me of uh, Cavalier and Clay in a way that like made me want to go reread that book, which is a long book. You know, it's a big commitment. Yes. Um, it really, it's one of the closest. I will say, like, no book will ever be Cavalier and Clay. You know, which I have a hard time accepting. But yes, you're right. But no, I have yet to read a book that got me closer. Yeah, than this book, and this book is very specifically about comics, like making comics. Yeah, which I, I enjoy, and and Alex Segura, like you mentioned, is a comic book writer, so he knows he knows that world. Yeah, yeah, he's this book was incredible. This is one of those books that like we all need to raise our bar. For, like, uh, what's that Tom Franklin review I've referenced before in? Uh, paste that uh, the publishing world is is awash at sea with John Grisham and cruise liners and James Patterson and aircraft carriers. Well, with this book, Tom Franklin just got a bigger boat. That's Alex Segura has a bigger boat with this book. Like, <laughs> expect good. Like, if if Alex Segura writes a, a decent book, write in your review. This is a decent book, but I know that Alex Segura can do better because <laughs> Alex Segura has written a, a damn near perfect book before. Yeah. And like, just a, it is. It's not a. It's about a ton of stuff, but it, it only seeks to be about comic book publishing. But it, it plays with form. It plays with gender dynamics. It plays with gender in the workplace. It's got an interesting mystery at the heart of it. it yes, there's some great mystery writing. There's some great comic book writing without illustration. Yeah, which is very cool. Something I haven't experienced before, but I'm very interested in the idea of. Yeah. Which is something I think Star Wars does, specifically with his book, with the Poe Dameron book. Uh, they do some really good sound production, so it's a cool... Yeah, also Secret Identity, I listened and read to different portions. It's a it, it's worth checking out the audiobook version. I listened to the audiobook version, and I, I enjoyed it. Because those comic book scenes are even better as audio than you would think. It plays like know? a radio play. Right. That's the thing. It's like comics and radio, maybe... I don't know. It's cool. They, he plays a form a lot. And uh, it's pulpy, but for a pulp book, it explores a ton, I guess. Yeah. Like a James Cromley novel. Like The Last Good Kiss. Yes. 
<laughs> Have so, you read The Last Good Kiss? I mean, I know the, I, I know the it's James Cromwell so novels. Okay. You should read – You would love, The Last Good Kiss is a, like a Hollywood fixer situation. Okay. It's a very Quentin Tarantino story. Cool. Uh, all right. Next up is uh, All the Secrets of the World by Steve Almond. Have you yeah. No, I've not read this. Talk to me about it. All right, so this book and the Franzen book that came out this year or last year maybe kind of fit into this similar category. I think this one does a better job. Where, like, the main character is sort of a – well, in the Franzen book, really, but in this one, like, sort of a creep dad. I don't know. It was weird, and I was worried about it for the first, like, 50 pages because I really like Steve Allman, and I really think he's, like, a good human. Yeah. If like the first fifty pages, I was like, "Is Steve Almond a creepy old dude?" <laughs> and no, and the book is great, and it's uh, it deals with some heavy stuff, but it's it's really fun to read, and he's a really good writer. So like, it's one of those rare instances where you can quickly read good writing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like he writes like. Classical literature, you know, like he writes like very highbrow stuff, but he also is a really good writer and he, he's interested in like more pulpy writing. And so, yeah, if you want to read a bunch of good writing quickly, at, at, like at a at a clip, it's a lot of fun. Nice. It's kind of like jogging. I like Steve Allman's writing. I think he's a, he's a really gifted writer. Candy Freak? Have you read Candy Freak? No. Oh, I feel like you would love Candy Freak. It's about him exploring uh, the fact that he is... Uh, one of many very competitive brothers, his parents are uh, shrinks and he's obsessed with candy and maybe has some body issues, but really it's just a docu- a book version of a documentary about the history of small candy manufacturers in America. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's such a good book. It's so fun. He's such a good writer. Awesome. Uh, all right. So you've got the nineties by Chuck Klosterman. Well, you, you skipped yours. You skipped oh. my body's not a prayer request. Yes. Oh, yeah. Amy Kennedy, My Body's Not a Prayer Request. I will say this is sort of – this isn't like if you're out there looking for like really good writing, this isn't necessarily it. If you're trying to uh, explore new perspectives, this is a massive book here. Uh, Amy Kinney uses a cane in a wheelchair. Uh, she's had numerous physical health elements and um, just mobility uh, challenges throughout her life. And it's also been in the church, involved in the church her whole life. And so this book is, it starts right off just like, hey, a lot of people have really good intentions when they come up to me and tell me that God is going to heal me one day if I have enough faith, even though I'm going to be in a wheelchair or have a cane the rest of my life. You know, like if you tell me that my injuries, my disability is based on my faith or my, you know, whether I deserve to be healed or not, like that's doing a way more damage than you like think it is because you're at your prayer group being like, I told a disabled person that God's going to heal her this week. And I believe so. But at my prayer group, I'm talking about how 15 people came to me and told me that if I had enough faith, I could stand up and walk. And it's like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's spiritual trauma. Yeah. And so one thing I explored this year is I I wrote a paper about the uh, communications. It's a a communication sciences paper about the negative health ramifications of shame uh, as it pertains to 
body size, uh, specifically in non-normative, quote-unquote non-normative, like BMI body types, and how communications can have negative actual health impacts. And so kind of going through that as a fat person and then reading this book, it was like, I don't know, it made me realize that A, I'm not alone, and like B, saying this out loud, a lot of people who associate weight with personal responsibility will be like, what an asshole for comparing his poor decisions to that. (laughs) And then C, that there's a ton of work to be done and that even me going through all that I've gone through still think really shitty things about people who've gone through very similar things. Mm. And so, um, anyway, yeah. Once again, if you want, if you want your brain rattled a little bit, if you want to shift perspectives, if you want to get in the chair in your car and be like, someone else sat in here. Uh, my body is not a prayer request by Amy Kinney. Nice. Well, it's, I- Back Good. when I was a pastor, I probably would have been like first in line to pick this book up. This, this yes, really no, you would have had her speak at Collective Church. I would have found out about her from you. <laughs> uh, yeah, if this book had come out in 2016. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then you mentioned before, but we have uh, the 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Have you read this? No, I want to. I just haven't yet. I'm shocked. I, I usually you're the one who wants to talk to me about Chuck Klosterman books. I haven't read the last two. Oh, really? I don't know why. Oh, he's he's great, and this is a really. Happened. I I was a teenager in the '90s. I graduated high school in 2000 in the year 2000, and so like the in '90s year were 2000. That's right, and uh, <laughs> the, so the '90s were very formative to me. So that this this book was uh, really kind of hit home, and really kind of did a good job of dissecting what I just remember as like adolescent memory, and and so uh, it, I mean, name a thing from the '90s, just anything. Nirvana. It gets mentioned in this book. You know, Jinkos. Like, say what? Jinkos. Jinkos don't get mentioned. I guess that's like 2000, really. Might have been a little bit later. But like, it, there, there's a whole exploration of like the Clinton presidency. There's oh, yeah. an exploration of like the Matrix and uh, the Star Wars prequels, or the first one at least. And like the. So it, it, OJ? It, OJ absolutely gets a whole chapter. Yeah. Grunge. Uh, yes. Heroin? Say what? Heroin? No, not really. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, but yeah, grunge for sure. Gets, there, there's there's a little bit like there's a mention about of like the, the, the album? very brief swing dance craze that happened. Oh yeah. What about the album Dirt by Alice in Chains? Alice in Chains gets mentioned. I don't think that specific. Oh, wait, album Dirt was uh, never mind. Dirt was like 2002. Yeah, Alice like all, all the Seattle grunge bands get named. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting sort of exploration of that time. And so if you grew up when I did or if you if you have any sort of memory of the 90s or if you don't and you're interested in the 90s as a cultural artifact, then uh, it's it's worth picking up. And Chuck Klosterman always does a great job. Always. Dude, Chuck Klosterman delivers. Every time. For sure. Yeah. Chuck Klosterman, leave it to him to ask a question that you just really dread trying to answer. Yeah. You know, and then him being like, no, I've really been thinking, no, 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 be serious. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> he's, a, he, he's such a thoughtful, introspective guy. And he, I mean, no, nothing, he, nothing comes to him half-baked. Like he, he fully think, yeah. thinks about everything all the way through. So whenever I pull out the deck of, uh, hypotheticals, do you, do you know about that? No. That he's a deck of conversation starter questions called oh, hypotheticals. Yes. Yes. Anytime I pull him out, April gets mad. She's like, <laughs> put him up. I'm not talking about Hitler turtles. <laughs> All right, so then finally we have Rogues by Patrick Radin Keefe. Yeah, Patrick Radin Keefe wrote a book a couple years ago about the Troubles called Tell No One, I think is what it was called. Okay. He's a good writer. He's written some long-form stuff I've read. 
I, I want to say like in the Atlantic maybe, but it seems like more highbrow than – not that he's lowbrow. He just like sort of – why am I obsessed with brows today? I don't know. He uh, – <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he writes about sort of rogues. is mostly about villains. And I guess the thing that stood out to me the most was like these people are the people that we put our trust in. These people all – are very similar to our leaders <laughs> mm. uh, in many ways. And they just, I guess, got caught differently or they were in, you know, they decided to go into cocaine instead of politics or whatever it is. It's an, in- it's a very interesting collection of just his writing about he's, he's written about a lot of like, you know, those kinds of people like, uh, uh, I just forgot his name, the drug dealer in Mexico, the, Rode a motorbike through a tunnel to escape. El Chapo? El Chapo. Yeah, he's written about like him, like people like that. He's written a bunch of stories about people like that. Okay. And so this is just a collection of those in one place, like from a sort of similar perspective. And uh, it's cool to think about. It, it was, they're all very fascinating stories because they're about just like very, the kinds of people who can convince tons of people to go do crimes with them, you know? Yeah. But it also. Makes you think, like, why do we keep electing people like this, <laughs> too? You know, like, yeah. why do we keep investing our money with people like this? We all know it's a sh- You know, you're just, like, listening to this and watching Bitcoin crash or whatever, and you're just like, what? Ah, this happened way before the Bitcoin thing. We should have known. Yeah. You know, like, or whatever it is. So, yeah. anyway. Interesting. I'll have to check this one out. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, and it's like, you can put it on your coffee table and, like, Read one today and read one like in two months, and you know it's it's just all long form collection stories. From, nice, yeah. All right. Well, you had a couple of comedy specials that you mentioned that you wanted to talk about. So you want to talk about uh, People Pleaser by Josh Gondelman? Yeah, I really want to talk about Josh Gondelman just because he's such a delightful human being who has been around for a while, and is um, it was good to see him get a special. Uh, I mean, it's I think he put it out. You got. But it was good to see it, like, it come, maybe it's out somewhere. Hang on. It might actually be on Prime. I can Google it real quick. Gondelman, people, pleaser, stream. Yeah, maybe it's on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Prime. Oh, cool. Josh Gondelman, people, pleaser. I think it wasn't on Prime when I got it, when I watched it. Anyway, he's a, he's like a sweet guy who's, like, really, he's just, like, he thinks his wife's really cool. His wife is cool, but, you know, he's just, like, he's... The opposite of, like, think about, like, 90s stand-up comic. Yeah. Change the leather jacket to a cardigan, change the hair to a bald head, you know, change the deep voice to sort of just, like, you know, just, like, a kind voice. And just, like, change the take my wife to, like, you know, what like he's just sort of the opposite of all that. And he's funny. And it just, I don't know, it's, he's kind and he's still really funny. And it's... Nice. I'm trying to not be cynical anymore. I'm trying to be like just genuine and earnest. And Josh Gondelman has helped. He gives pep talks. He had a podcast where he just like brought people on to give pep talks. And sometimes if he's like waiting on a plane, he'll tweet out like, hey, I'm taking requests for pep talks. And somebody will just be like, lost my dog today. And he'll send him like the most sweetest like pep talk about how good of a dog dad they were. Or like, uh, you know, just like having a tough week. And he'll be like, you may be having a tough week. But that's just because you're so fucking good at tough weeks. <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> Josh Gondelman's so sweet. And uh, it's a really good show. 
Uh, yeah, and then I also watched this other one, uh, Trash White by Moses Storm. Uh-huh. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's a perspective thing, man. It's, I mean, it's no um, Bo Burnham's inside. <laughs> yeah. But it, he really does some interesting stuff with perspective um, and uh, the stage and just, just the way it was shot. So the this, this stage that he's standing on is the screen and there's a camera above him. And so anything he's talking about that gets projected gets projected down on the stage he's standing on. So you see it. Anyway, there's just interesting shots that you don't see in comedy. And he's also kind of turning a thing on his head because he like, stands up there and he's like, I'm going to convince you to feel sorry for me because I grew up very poor. And very, you know, like he's like, I had a real sob story of a life. But we're going to laugh about it. But I'm going to convince you to be sorry for me. And he's like, and it zooms in on his face. I mean, he's a Abercrombie model yeah. face, you know, like he's just a, just a real beautiful boy. He's a real flat white, you know, and uh, he's like, I'm going to convince you to be sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he tells like some really brutal stories and he like, it's really funny and the staging is interesting. And so, I don't know, I guess I'll, it follows the theme of perspective. Uh, yeah, it's good. Nice. Moses Storm, Trash White. And that is streaming on HBO Max. That is, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that does it for another year of uh, All Media Overload. Let me ask you this. If you could have one of these, what would it be? What do you mean? If you could have only experienced one of these, what would it be? One of, like, all the things we've talked all about? All the things we talked about tonight. One, two, three, go. Uh, the bear. Yeah? Yeah. I think so. Right on, dude. Yeah. It's I, I in fact yes I'm positive it's the bear that's the thing I enjoyed the most this year sick I'm so proud of that you have so much clarity on that I'm absolutely so what about it. you uh, this time tomorrow it was job hands down no questions asked nice I'm surprised I haven't like read it more yeah it had uh, I will say that there was a page in that book where I stood up the book like was in my lap I dropped it in my lap I stood up it fell to the ground. And I just clapped, and I said out loud, "She did it." <laughs> <laughs> there was just a a write a form a thing that she did with just the format of of writing a fiction novel. Within that format, she did a thing I'd never seen before. Awesome! And just, I mean, in like two paragraphs, she did a thing in a hundred pages, and then she did a very similar thing in twenty pages, and then. She did that thing in one paragraph and I stood up and I clapped and I said, she did it. (laughs) That's great. I I love that feeling when you're reading something and you get that kind of jolt of like, wow, I can't believe they did that. Yeah. It's just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I do love that. Yeah. Um, All right. I felt like however the, whoever read baby shoes never used. Like for sale, baby shoes never used. Like whoever wrote that, the first the first person who read that. That's how I felt when I read that sentence. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, she got it all in here. Yeah. She got the whole thing in here." Nice. Um, all right. Well, that is it for us. So the next thing you'll hear from us is we're gonna get into we're gonna get back into alphabetical Springsteen, and we'll hopefully oh, have, can I wait have some new episodes for you beginning in January. So. Uh, Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. JB, you want to give everybody a word to tweet at us if you get all the way to the end of this? Oh. What about she did it? She did it. (laughs) Exclamation point. All right. That'll work. I like it. Yeah. And I'm stoked for us to come back and talk about 
uh, all the beautiful Bruce Springsteen songs we've gotten in the interim. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited. Oh, and there's a tour coming up, so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that. And uh, just a lot of, a lot of, it's a good time to be a Bruce Springsteen fan, as it always is. So. Yeah, I'm at, imagine this, if you will, for a moment. A couple of years ago, when we were like, all right, well, Bruce is going to not put out anything for a little bit after the book and all that. And then he's going to put out a couple of not full band records and a covers record. And yeah, you know, not huge, you know, not like touring around him or anything. There's some decent records. You would not have expected what we got. No, I think, yeah, Western stars. And we, we will talk about this, but Western stars is something so foreign to what we could have expected. Oh my gosh. And it's, yeah, it was one of those records for the first time I heard it. I was like, what is this shit? I don't know what to expect. Like, I don't know what I'm... And then the second time I listened to it, I was like, this, this is one of the best records I've ever heard. This is yeah. so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to talk about that record, yeah. for sure. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you get, got all the way to the end, be sure and tweet at us, she did it, exclamation she point. She did it. And uh, we will see everybody in about a month, probably less than that, sometime early January, and we'll be talking some about uh, some Bruce Springsteen music. So get Woo. excited, and we'll see you soon.